What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Dolce Show. We have stopped counting episodes at this point because I can't count that high. Got to 130, can't count higher than 130, so now we're just gonna we're just gonna bring on what I call my super friends. And today we are very lucky to have two of the most powerful humans on the planet, literally. We have Mr. Stan Efferding, who is officially the world's strongest bodybuilder. Fuck. That says a lot, because there's a lot of bodybuilders out there. Stan is an IFBB professional bodybuilder. Also, he's the owner of a 2,303-pound raw total, correct? That's correct, yeah. Fucking, I've watched that video a hundred times, probably. I watch it, too, because it's, <laughs> it's, in, it's, it's something I did, not something I do anymore. <laughs> yeah, but what you do is still pretty fucking impressive. We see each other at the gym over at Iron Man XLV, yeah. and Stan is, is literally, the whole gym has to stop and wait for Stan to stop using all the plates <laughs> so we can go and actually have a workout. And we also have sitting to my left, Mr. Chris Duffin. Chris is the all-time raw world record squat holder. 881 motherfucking pounds. See, good use of the curse word right there. <laughs> that is there. 881 at 220 pounds of body weight, which is four times body weight. How many humans have ever done a four-time body weight squat? There might be a couple. Uh, not There's many. Very few. And nobody lighter. Nobody. Uh, that record has been surpassed since. But uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, I know. You but should have Tanya Hardin his ass. I, I've, to- I've totally wasted it in the gym, but I haven't got back on the platform to uh, do it yet. Gotcha. And who? who, who? Uh, my friend Sam Bird. Okay. Yep. All right. Friends... Still friends? Yep, yep. We're, we're still friends. Same right. savage sister. <laughs> awesome. But still, 881 at 220 is, is insane. Now, you guys, you have a, a massive list of credentials that we're not really going to run through right now because we'll burn the hour just talking about what you've done in the past. We want to talk about how you've done these things, get a little bit of background. Both of you are college-educated men, which is, I think, very important to add. And why I wanted you on the show is because you're cerebral. You're not... You're meatheads. Yes. But you're proud meatheads. And we're a little crazy. And you're fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. But you take a much more calculated approach to what you do with strength training and bodybuilding. And I'm just going to step back a little bit and stand. Let's let's get a little bit of history. Now, you were on previously with uh, Flex Wheeler on one of, that's one of our, I think that is our top rated episode that's ever. Great. That's Which great. is awesome. You guys killed it. People love it. Yeah, this one won't be because Flex isn't here. Flex isn't here. <laughs> Flex isn't we'll here. We'll take whatever we can get. Exactly. <laughs> so a little bit of background. Where's, you know, young, were you ever, I don't think you were ever little, but we'll say a young oh, stand Oh, I was tiny, man. I was 98 pounds. I wrestled 98 as a freshman, no 106 as a, wow. as a junior, I was 115 as a senior in high school. So I got to college, I was only 135 pounds. Pounds, not kilos. No, no, pounds, wow. yeah. Okay. I had a soccer scholarship, and my coach actually told me I needed to go to the gym and bulk up. <laughs> wow. And in college, 135 pounds playing soccer? You got to go to work out to play soccer? Are you kidding me? So I went, but then I uh, never came back. I loved it so much. I just kept training and training and training. Even after three years of training, my first bodybuilding show, I was only 158 pounds on stage. Okay. So it's been a long road. It's been a long road. Learned yeah. a lot of things along the way. So you really first started hitting the weights in college? Yep. Okay. High school, just kind of playing the... You wrestled in high school? Yeah, I wrestled in soccer. So gotcha. you don't really do much weightlifting for, uh, for soccer and no. uh, in wrestling. It seems like you're always just training. You're always wrestling. You, yeah. I, even I wrestled back in the 90s, early 90s. Strength training wasn't very popular. Even back then, 
And we, we think about it as we're sitting here right now, I don't know a wrestler these days, you know, even grade school, that isn't strength and conditioning. They're not resistance training for sport. So just in the last 20 years, that really has evolved. A little bit of background on you, Chris. So you're from Oregon. It, yes, I'm from Oregon as well. Wow. All right. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I started wrestling actually as well. So I was... Uh, Point, apparently, there was a point in time I was bigger than Stan. Wow! So I, I, I just I'm, I'm marking that off in my uh, there my, you my go here. there you go. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's and that's when I started strength training. Nobody really directed me to, but that's that was early on. So I started uh, basically like around my eighth grade year, freshman year in high school is when I started strength training. Gotcha. And it was I didn't have any equipment, so it was actually doing air squats. Yeah. Uh, and and push-ups like every day. Now that we've come full circle. Yeah. Thirty years later, we're, we're doing still doing the- air squats and push-ups. <laughs> we, just, we just filmed a piece on push-ups two days ago. Yeah. Actually, so oh wow, it's <laughs> the way it works. And then uh, yeah, I, I've continued to lift since then and learn, and it's been pretty crazy. I mean, the transition of you know my my education is in engineering and business. I got an MBA as well, and um, I've been working as a corporate executive for the last decade, running manufacturing companies for almost twenty years, and uh, now. I, I do this. I lecture like to PhD courses on human movement and travel around. Like it's it's pretty 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 crazy shift. Yeah. So, and it's all fueled by passion primarily. Yeah, hundred percent fueled by yeah. passion. It's I believe that you know we can make. There's so much that's done wrong in the strength training world, and there's so many opportunities to reach people, even mm-hmm. pro college, high school. Like there's so much. You know, you you talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, I used to squat. You know, I used to bench. I do whatever, and then. My back, my hip, my knee, my shoulder, and that doesn't have to. That doesn't have to happen. Like yeah. we can, strength training should be additive to life. Yeah, and like we that. all know that here, right? Absolutely. And, but there's a lot of people that, you know, that hasn't been the experience because it's it's done, it's taught wrong, like all these things, and uh, and so that's what my passion is like, trying to help people not, you know, understand and know how to make this additive to live better through strength. So, and in your practice, because you run uh, your gym up in Oregon, in Portland, do you focus more on athletes and competitors, or do you focus more on on general fitness and almost rehabilitation? So you have the credentials, obviously, to do it all. So um, our gym mainly caters to athletes. I really, I don't do any, like, training or working with athletes directly myself. Usually it's uh, coaching or mentoring role for the trainers that we have. Sure. Or, you know, I'm doing seminars or working with head strength coaches of other disciplines. So I'm um, working with people that are dealing with Olympians. I'm working with pro baseball teams, pro football teams, you know, things of that nature. He's your coach's coach. The yeah, coach's so, coach. And that's important. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, you know, th- there's a reason for that, though. It's because, because my passion is to reach as many people as possible. If I just sat there and focused on one person at a time, yeah, I'm never. I'm not going to yeah. get anywhere, and I want to have an impact on the entire strength and conditioning. And it's community. important because no coach can know everything. You know, sure. I own uh, a number of businesses, and I had a, a CPA, and I had a, uh, an IT guy, and I had an HR department, and I had an attorney. You know, I can't can't wear all those hats. I can't do all those things. And so, as a coach, you want to focus, you know, primarily on uh, sports specific training. But they uh, always have strength training guys, you know, the, the bigger, you know, the NFL and, and NCAA, yep. they've always got a whole cadre of professionals uh, that have helped with each of these aspects of an athlete's performance. Absolutely. And where did you guys bump into each other? Cause I saw you training the other day together and it was really fucking cool. But where does this story begin? Well, I think I just reached out to you when I came up there one time to go squat at your gym. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, it was like five years ago yeah. or something like that. Something and then, like that. We've stayed in touch since then, you know, texting and talking about different issues and approaches. Yeah. I think we both recognize that we had a lot of uh, 
similar, like you said, you know, very cerebral, very thoughtful to get to, to where we're at. And actually, it was really interesting in our discussion over lunch the other day, we were talking about how you've spent so much time reaching out to all these different people and training with all these different people to pull in that knowledge. Yeah. And I've, I've done the exact same thing. Like there's a whole yeah. lot of similarities in our career. Mine's a little bit more on the clinical side where I've spent more time on with professionals in that field, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to bridge the gap. Sure. It's a small world, you know, this community of, of powerlifting and bodybuilding. We all tend to know each other. And then when you get, you know, a meathead geek, uh, we, we, we tend to cling to each other because yeah. we're, we're all information junkies. Yep. You know, back in college, Chris and I were talking about this the other day, is that we didn't have the internet. When I was in college, there was no internet. Sure. So there was a very limited amount of information. It was the guy behind the counter that was competing that would give you, you know, that was, that was your go-to source. But I was, you know, I was studying exercise science, so I would sit up in the science library until they kicked me out at closing, scrolling through microfiche. That's how old I am. Wow. And pop my eight track in on the way home. There we go. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, and it, it, that, that's an obsession that never ends, yeah. you know, the information part of the side. So, yeah, we go to the gym and, and you know, we train and a lot and, and you know, we, we go crazy in there. But when we're outside the gym, we're spending all of our waking hours trying to figure out how to optimize that. Absolutely. And it, again, but, I, but, but I, go the ahead. Meat, the meathead piece is important, though, too, because there's so many people that out there that overanalyze, over-research, and actually never get to, I've got to get to the gym and train and test this stuff. Yeah. I've got to find real world what works for me, what works for the people I work with. And so there's a, you have to be, you know, you've got to be grabbing that knowledge, seeking it and finding it. But you've also got to take action. Absolutely. You've got to get in the gym and just yeah. train too. And guess what? The, your idea, you may find out, you know, 12 weeks down the road, three months in or six months in that, it's not working. Yeah. But yeah. there's really only one way to find out is you got to go try it. When you used to find out, you used to have to make a trek. You used to have to go to Westside Barbell. Sure. Or you used to have to, to go down to the Mecca in Venice if you wanted to train in and around these great athletes and, and learn from them. And I used to drive down to, to Venice back in the late 80s and early 90s just to get exposed to all the people and to, to you know, pick brains in anywhere I could. Yeah. Of course, you're reading Muscle and Fitness, but you only get you know, the watered down sure. you know, version of what's going on. And nowadays, with the with the internet, you can see right inside, you know, Westside Barbo, and you can you can learn about all their techniques. Or you can see right inside what you know uh, what uh, Chris is doing, or you can see you know the Juggernaut program, or you can see uh, you know Eric Lilly or um, uh, Brandon Lilly's Cube program, or Eric Lilly Bridges you know program. You can learn all that in a week. Yeah. And what used to take you, or if you even had the opportunity, and the money, and the time and resources, what you know you couldn't accumulate in years. Sure. So the problem is, and here's <laughs> where, where we're at today, Uh-oh. along with all this good information, yeah. there's a whole lot of bad information. A whole lot of bad information. Yeah, filtering yeah. is the cue food, the babe. <laughs> Ooh, okay. There we go. You know, there's just so much crap going around out there, and it, it's, you know, everybody who's done one powerlifting meet or one bodybuilding show wants to, you know, help educate the Online masses. Online coach. Yeah. yeah. And that, that uh, you know, that hurts because then people start repeating the same bad behaviors and, and it's hard, harder to get them out of that mode. Uh, so there's great resources now, but you have to find, you know, who's, who's knowledgeable. So for those listening, who's your, who's your, your top, let's go top three. Top three, top three to five on YouTube or online access to information that the people listening right now can find after this podcast. Yeah, I think Chris Duffin's, uh, uh, is it Kabuki, the website? Uh, Kabuki, Kabuki Strength. Strength. Yep. Yeah. is great, particularly for uh, uh, mobility, rehab, yep. uh, you know, along with strength. Uh, obviously, Mark Bell. 
does a great job, not just yeah. himself, but the, all the people he brings in. The information you can glean from just his access to a, a ton of other athletes is That's good. super training. Yep. Oh, Obviously, Juggernaut's done a great job of bringing a lot of good information out there. A huge one that's one of the most uh, informational in terms of uh, research studies and, and meta-analysis and, and really digging in and finding, um, you, you know, what's really going on with all these reports and studies that come out every day. You got a new study that just came out. Sure. It's Greg Knuckles. Okay. The kid's brilliant. Uh, very, very smart kid. N-U-C-K-O-L-S. Greg Knuckles. And almost every week his, his stuff's quoted. Uh, he does an incredible amount of research. He doesn't just read the study that's printed in, in you know, New York Times or, or whatever, you know, uh, magazine or that you read that, that comes out with. He'll go in and actually reach out to the people who performed the studies. Oh, wow. And talk to the scientists and, and start to, you know, dig in and analyze uh, and then use multiple studies to compile, uh, if there is any consensus or lack thereof, uh, you know, a, a charter graph, so you can start to see if there's any consistencies. I like that. Yeah, Greg Knuckles. That's another great one. That um, boy, if you want a lot of great information, he's he's, he's a good one. Who do you got, Chris? Who do you? So go mine's going to be completely different. Okay. So there's they, they, none of them have YouTube channels. Okay. None of them have Instagrams. Uh oh. Um, but these these are my biggest influences. One is um, it's a school, so the um, Prague School of Medicine. Sure. Um, out of the Czech Republic. So they have a system called dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, and it is a developmental uh, kinesiology approach. And it's really where it's the biggest influence in my work uh, about core stabilization and how, how you basically transfer power through the joints associated around, uh, around the core. And so that's, that's a huge influence in the work that I have. I know a lot of the, the instructors uh, from, from the school. Um, second would be Dr. Stuart McGill. He's the leading spy, spine biomechanist sure. in the world. Um, had, had him out at my facility. Uh, he, well, he's retiring from uh, University of Waterloo. Um, he's actually an engineer background as well, so we have a lot of good there side conversations go. about right. uh, building vehicles and other things. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, um, so those, those are the, the two leading influencers of my work. Um, I'd also like to put uh, Dr. Charlie Weingroff out of New York City. Um, so he is phenomenal. He's actually a, a competitive power lifter as well, uh, and uh, pretty go. pretty good. Okay, but uh, he practices this stuff. He's, I believe, one of um, you know the the best people that pulls together the clinical side, but also applying it to strength training, rehab. Sure. And uh, so those are those are my three. Like I said, are a little bit different uh, approach and background there, but that's uh, and there's the blend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it there's is. the blend. And great, great content. There's lots of great information. Unfortunately, you know, you, you flip through YouTube and you're going to see some jacked dude yep. that's given all sorts of bullshit. And at the end, he's trying to sell. Well, he's getting paid. He's to, getting paid to say something. Yep. So, well, and that's where I'm trying to do. So everything I do is YouTube, Instagram, all these traditional approaches. Sure. But I'm I'm trying to bridge the gap. Like I said, I'm trying to take this stuff and get this out to the regular, the rest of the community in a, in a manner that makes sense because they're not going to have the ability to, to really reach out, learn from these people or even really compile or understand the way that knowledge is presented from, from those groups to like, what does that mean when I'm in the gym? Like, sure. so that's, that's my role. That's what I do. Yeah. So when, you know, everyone listening, we have a, a very varied audience, which is why I love this show and the people that, that really kind of, you know, come to us is, 
everyone wants to get motivated. They're looking for motivation and for whatever day, you know, cause we're all, you know, we're, we're, we're husbands, we're dads, we're friends, we're brothers, we're, we're businessmen, you know, we're, we're meatheads, we're all these other things. But at the same time, it, it's hard to just put our feet on the floor, have a goal and start moving forward. We always focus on, on fitness. We talk about business and stuff. I want to talk about your businesses as a part of this show. But I want to talk about programming because a lot of times people, they just don't know what to do. And there's so much bullshit information out there. Every day you go to Yahoo, there's a new best way to lose fat, you know, worst way to gain or lose fat. There's always contradictory uh, information being pushed for you guys. Now, let's say we have the, the, the novice to beginner 20 to 40 pound overweight individual that just wants to look better, live longer, get sexy, which is important. What would you do with that individual male? So we'll take the, that male first, and then we'll talk about females in a minute. What's the basic program outline that you would suggest out of the gate? Well, if I had to start with the most important things, I would just start very gradually trying to, com- to create some sort of consistency there you go. with them. Anything more than they did yesterday is going to result in improvement. Yep. The mistake a lot of people make is they, they give these people this grandiose program. It has a very specific diet plan. has a very specific training protocol. And it might not be consistent with their own lifestyle. And that's the reason so many people fall off. That's the reason, reason that so many programs are, are, are adhered to is because it, it, uh, they can't eat those foods or it doesn't fit with their schedule. It's not stuff that they enjoy. All you need to do to lose weight is burn more calories than you take in. And that can be done either by eating a little less and by moving a little more. The combination of the two is going to create the results. But if it's consistency that matters. And, and I, Chris and I talked about this yesterday. I don't even like to refer to it as a diet. Yeah. You know, I just I'd like to refer to it as, as you know, here's what you eat yeah. that's going to create the, the caloric deficit. And that's of primary importance. Uh, is is to me is that they don't eat too much. Sure. Because and the constitution of those foods is where people get mixed up. Macros and micros and all this other stuff. And people are like, ah. The average Joe, the beginner, like you said, who's 20, 30 pounds overweight, you know, if he just cut his soda pop intake in half or ate, uh, you know, didn't eat out as frequently at, at fast food restaurants. He doesn't have to make drastic changes. Chicken sure. breasts, egg whites, broccoli. Nobody's going to stick to that program. Yeah. It's not enjoyable. It's not sustainable. So I try and create habits. And to me, that, uh, that comes from just eating a little less, maybe improving the quality of some of those foods. And I make small steps. If you, you, know, if you use all of your, I say, if, if you unload all your ammo right away, then there's really not much that you can do, you know, subsequently to, to improve performance. So I like to make little changes and get small results because you, you don't, your body doesn't respond. You know, in 30 days, you're not going to make all the results. Yep. At the end of 30 days, I'd like to see some results, and then I'd like to you know, make some changes and to continue that process. It's got to be gradual, and it has to be consistency is the, the primary factor. Absolutely. Uh, before you jump into some specific training program. There's obviously better ways than others to burn calories when you sure. utilize your whole body, when you you know, weight train as opposed to, to doing, uh, you know, just a steady state cardio, et cetera. But even initially, just a walk. Yep. Just getting up in the morning and taking a walk. When I recommend to somebody who's 30 pounds overweight that's just starting a program, I tell them just get up seven days a week. As soon as you get up in the morning, uh, uh, go out and walk for 30 minutes. 
seven days a week because yeah. that's the only way to create habits. If I tell them to do it every other day, then suddenly it'll be every third day yes, and then sir. every fourth day. So I'm trying to create habits, trying to create consistency, and then see how they respond. Yep. And then we just add a little more work. We you know, take away a few more calories if necessary. Yep. You know, I don't like to starve people. I never take them more than a 500-calorie deficit because if you take them a 1,000 or 2,000-calorie deficit and try and lose a lot of weight real quick, the body responds really quick and stops. Absolutely. You stop getting the result. If you just take a little away, then you'll get a gradual result and you can keep getting the result. And hopefully you'll be able to get that result from increasing uh, your workload as opposed to decreasing calories. Because yeah. you, you can't just keep going down, 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 down on calories. You get to a point where your body stops responding altogether. I always like to, to err on the side of increasing workload. Not on decreasing, not on restriction sure. of calories or, or foods. And if I can, if I can hold their calories at a decent level, so maybe I wasn't very specific. But uh, consistency is key in creating. I think that, that was excellent in that you have to develop the habit. And yeah. you know, we have what we hear when, when clients come to us. We have phase one is the health and habit phase. Yeah, everybody wants to look like you two. You know, all the all the guys listening right now want to look like Stan Efferding and Christoph and for sure, but that's not gonna fucking happen in thirty days. And, and right? taking our program and following it <laughs> isn't gonna get you there. It's gonna kill you. They can't deadlift nine hundred pounds because. for a double <laughs> with a broken foot or you what? <laughs> not they can't do that tomorrow? No. <laughs> Bullshit. It'll take at least two but, weeks. <laughs> but it, it's it's you know, it's important to understand that yeah, work capacity and training is cumulative. Yeah. And the other is training is individualized. That's why you do what you do. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of other people offer those services because there is no one-size-fits-all plan. So, you know, those are really important pieces to understand. Everybody's different. Everybody responds differently. And you have to learn how your body reacts as well. But at the same time, not have, you know, training ADHD. Yep. So when you're early in the process, you need to just basically pick a program. Like if you're in your early 20s, getting into training and do it for six months yep. and actually learn what that program does for you, what works well, what doesn't, and then maybe look at another one. But again, you, you can't just go to an elite level lifter that you respect or whatever and go, I'm going to copy what they're doing. Because how long have you been training, Stan? Yeah, 30 years. I've been training 25. Yeah. Okay. It takes that long to build up to do what we do. Sure. So, but that doesn't mean in just a short period of time, six months to a year. You can't have achieved 90% of your goal. That it, 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 your body will adapt very quickly. Absolutely. But you have right. to do it consistently. Yep. People always ask me, what's the best exercise? The one you'll do. Yeah. If you don't enjoy it, you know, if you copy Chris and Mai's program, you're going to quit pretty quick. Yep. You know, and a lot of people, jogging was always the big thing. I need to lose some weight. So they head out the door and, and they start jogging. Yeah. No, I don't know too many people that like jogging. I mean, there are some, I understand. <laughs> Crazy ones. Yeah, but you're not going to do it if it's not something you enjoy. Yeah. If you enjoy playing racquetball, go play racquetball. All we're talking about is movement and consistent movement. And it's the cumulative load. So you take Stan's walking example. Yep. Well, it's 30 minutes every day. Well, now we can, we can make that cumulative by going, okay, in that 30 minutes, where did you get to? Yep. Next week... Do the same walk, but get there in 28 minutes. Yes, that's get exactly what 20, I did. Get I there in top walk. Get there yep. in 25, okay? So now you're adding, you know, increasing the work capacity. Yep. Now with, you know, I, I said it's, it's important to understand that in, training is individualized. So I said pick a program, right? Well, that's learning the body. So the individualization comes back to the, the lifestyle point. You've got to understand if you're going to do this for the long term, what fits your life? What because everything that you add in, you have to make a sacrifice somewhere else. 
It mean it may mean that you're not doing football, you know, watching sitting down on the couch drinking beer and watching football on Sundays or going out with your buddies Friday night or you know, some something somewhere has to give if you're adding more in. So if you just make these huge drastic changes to your life and expect it like, okay, I'm gonna go from just eating whatever to this, you know, to a physique prep uh, diet plan, right? Yeah. That's not that's a diet and that's only that's gonna be a short period of time. Yeah. It's not something that you're going to live with. It's not going to be what you're doing six years from now. So you got to go. That's the egg whites, tilapia, broccoli <laughs> thing. Yeah, everybody starts that and nobody yeah. stays with it. Yeah, it doesn't. Particularly so you, the beginners. You've got to understand, like, what are, what are my priorities in life? How important is this to me? And really, from there, be able to assess, okay, what can I commit to it? And what am I giving up? Yeah. And am I okay living this way? So it might just be, you know, doing two full body workouts a week. Yeah. It might be, you know... Uh, a four-day-a-week, you know, West Side-ish program. It might be, you know, it, it could be any number of things, but you've got to start with what can I fit in and then find a program that fits within that. It's very and start common. adding the load. Yeah. It's very common push in the it first 30 days for the beginner, this 20, 30 pounds overweight, like you said, yep. to take that 30-minute walk in the morning and then do 50 air squats and 50 push-ups and, and monitor your, your food intake you can lose 15 pounds in the first month, no problem. Absolutely. It's common if it's consistent. Problem is, is you can't out-train a bad diet, and that's where most people fail. Yeah. If they eat too much, they get the cravings, et cetera. And so there's a whole lot of tips and tricks, of course, you can utilize to try and decrease cravings because, you know, obviously we're extremely disciplined. It's not a problem for us. We eat cardboard sure. if that's what we had to eat, you know. But that's not everybody. Yeah. You know, my wife says, I want some carbs, I want some carbs. And I'm like, oh, that's a problem. We need to solve that or, or she's going to go off the rails here. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can increase your lean protein. You can eat some more vegetables. It's going to suppress the, the, the appetite, you know, the, the ghrelin, and it's going to satiate you for longer periods of time. If you can minimize your, the number of hours a day you're exposed to hunger, because it's a very powerful, powerful. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, then that's great. But you will be hungry. If you're losing weight, your body is restricted in some way. Uh, even if you're eating a decent amount of calories, if you're working, if your workload's enough to create the deficit, you're still going to be hungry. Yeah. You know, you will always be hungry. That's the sacrifice you're going to have to make. It'll never go away. Yeah. Uh, it's just, can you minimize it and can you decrease the duration of hunger? Uh, is it manageable for you? Are you not craving things that somebody took out of your diet? You know, if you're, if you love a certain food and somebody pulls it out, Good luck. They're not going to comply. You just need you need to put it in there in, in a in a more reasonable portion. Is yeah. what you need to do. So this brings me to intermittent fasting. What are your thoughts on that? I did various forms of intermittent fasting for about five years. Okay. Uh, all the way up to like twenty hour fast a day. Okay. Um, and they worked really well, and I found they worked fairly well for people about two hundred pounds and under. Okay. Over that, it seemed like it caused a little bit too much, like over like six or nine months. People would have too much adrenal fatigue, and all of a sudden now their workouts would start suffering and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, in the end, you know, there's lots of books out there on it and the science behind why it works on hormone levels and what's going on in the body. Uh, maybe yes, maybe no, but uh, I think it just it's a shorter window to get your calories in, so you, you, you eat less. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's, and whether you eat yeah. two meals a day or eight meals a day, the, the, the science doesn't support that you're going to get any, any different benefit. Yeah. Uh, and the science doesn't support that you're going to, whether you get 20% carbs or 60% carbs, that you're going to get any different benefit as long as the calorie count is, is equivalent. So uh, I, I don't have any problem with intermittent fasting uh, for folks as long as it's infrequent. You know, you wouldn't do it more than once a week, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, those that live it for, as a lifestyle. Every, every day, day they're eating, yeah. it's what, the, the, the my, 816. My concern is that, that, that people start 
um, they start getting poor nutrition. The same reason I don't recommend juice fasts and mm -hmm. stuff like that is now yep. you got people who have an inferior protein intake uh, and all kinds of other digestive problems. My concern is that. And, of course, with respect to athletes, performance athletes, yeah. uh, I'm always pushing calories. I would never restrict so, or, or... As so. you guys are right now, high-level performance athletes, could you do what you do following intermittent fasting? I couldn't. No, no, no. no. So no. any, and why I talk about this, this comes up and, quite and a bit. it's coming from somebody that did it every day for five years. And I, I could not be walking around at, you know, 5'10", 260 pounds and, you know, in abs. So Damn. I couldn't get there on That's on a good point, because a 135-pound woman has a lot smaller demands. than yep. the, For the, sure. Yeah. And it really, you know, I have, for me, people talk about the weight loss and, oh, it's great for digestive cleansing and it stabilizes. You can find good in anything, but what <laughs> we focus on here is the sustainability over a long period of time. And you were talking about Flex's program earlier. Yeah. Instead of going batshit crazy with one type of program for a few weeks to a few months, what happens after that? There's the fall off, then there's a bounce and the rebound. What we try and educate here is that consistent moderation. And to your point earlier, we're just looking to do just 1% better every day is one of our mottos. Yeah. We're looking mm -hmm. to eat clean, yeah. eat often, use a wide variety of natural foods, high in vital nutrients, micronutrients, as fresh as possible, earth-grown, hand-prepared. Really, that's what we're trying to get down to ultimately, but that doesn't start in one day. It slowly but mm -hmm. surely happens and we build it out. And you, were, you, know, you had mentioned before, Stan, you want to kind of minimize those times that you're fucking hungry. Well, we deal with people that come off Ronda Rousey's one. She followed the, the warrior diet, which is basically an IF hybrid. She was crushed. Her body was breaking down. She had this hole in her hand from, from punching the bag that it was a cut in her hand that just would not heal. She wasn't getting yeah. the vital nutrients in to no, heal her it, body. It's not a performance diet. Not performance. No. And so we'll take it a step further. If it's not a performance diet, and I'm talking to the people now listening – it's not a diet, in, my, in our opinion, in my opinion. It's not a healthy diet. It's not healthy. And, no. And for us, health is greater than performance. Performance is greater than cosmetic structure. And we follow that line. We know the healthier the athlete, the more the athlete can perform. Yeah. The better the athlete performs, then we can make the body look any way we want to. It, that actually becomes pretty easy. You focus on one or the other. If you leave health to the back of that equation... Who knows? And it, it's a short-lived um, short approach. So I just wanted to throw that no, little perfect. piece in there. Restriction will always lead to deficiencies, yeah. whether it's in the short term or the long term. Now you've got problems. Maybe you've got uh, vitamin D or iron deficiency or you're slowing your metabolism. Your, your thyroid's starting to get affected yep. by that. You know, it's the old HCG diet thing on a 500, 500 calorie, calorie diet. Yeah, I mean, you're going to ruin people that How way. do people not that, go to jail for that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, it makes no right? sense. Right? This is wrong. It's just it's yeah. it's criminal. It's fraudulent. I'm sure if the government looked in, well, not that they're efficient in what they do. It's a 500 calorie a day starvation yeah, they, diet. They gave us trans fats. Thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they they just throw some H HCG in there just as a way to kind of mask. It's a way to make money. It's a way to get them to your clinic once a week to buy all the rest of your crap. HCG never did anything. No, never does. I, anything. I didn't understand. Like, do anything. How does HCG it, help with this? It I, doesn't. I, I don't. I, it, I, I never doesn't. got that. It doesn't. But do you know how many here in Vegas? How many Summerlin Housewives? We're on the HCG diet. Yeah, it's the 500 calorie thing. <laughs> right? It's not sustainable. And then once you go back and eat a normal uh, meal, you're going to explode and, and you're going to gain weight. Bounce right out. I mean, we're yeah, always so talking about that bounce. The rebound. The rebound. Yeah. What happens after? Go ahead, Chris. You, you know, know, I was just uh, a little off track, but your, uh, your, your comment about the 1% and yes. like getting a little bit better every day. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, there's a lot to that that's an incredibly 
potent, powerful statement. So if you think about that, and this is like a cornerstone of like part of my philosophy is you've got to understand where do you want to be? Like, and you know you're never going to reach perfection. Yes. Perfection is never going to happen. But understand what that North Star is. Like, what, what is that perfect point? Where do you want to be? And what does that look like? And then every day, are you taking one step closer? The journey of a thousand are, are you, miles. Are you, are you yeah. taking the step to the left, the right, backwards? No. You're never going to, you're not going to sit there and make this perfect plan and, and then one day wake up and you're following the perfect diet and the perfect training plan. It's never going to happen. That's never going to yeah. happen. But every day you can get one step closer, but you have to understand what that is. And this really helps people with like the prioritization of life and like yeah. how to fit it into your lifestyle. But it's, it's also understanding too that you can always be better, never become comfortable with where you're at. So yeah. there's a, like you said, there's a lot behind that. And, uh, and it has to be sustainable. And the problem with these diets is you start demonizing certain foods. Yeah. And then after a while, you're down to four foods. How can you that get, you hate to eat? Yeah, that yeah. you hate to eat. You know, you can eat just about anything and everything you want, uh, presuming it, it has some sort of nutritive value. Yeah. And well, there's even the, the guy who did the 7-Eleven diet and lost 30 pounds and, and improved all of his blood markers. There's the guy who did the McDonald's diet, but he stuck himself at 1,850 calories and he walked 40 minutes a day. Gotcha. He lost 30 pounds and improved all his blood markers. It's not something I'm going to recommend necessarily, but it shows you that that is more important. Yeah. Uh, the the discipline and consistency and maintenance of, of the calorie deficit than all of the macro and, or all the micro talk, macro and micro talk. Um, that comes first. And so you can utilize your current uh, diet or meal plan, the things you like to eat, where you like to eat, uh, but manipulate it in such a way that, that you're, you're getting an, an adequate amount but not too much, and usually that's workload-driven. The guy who gained all that weight from that McDonald's story ate 5,000 calories a day and didn't move of course. at all. So yeah. that's a problem. You yep. know? My business partner came down, and, and he was well overweight, and he was really high in uh, uh, type 2 diabetes. Uh, he's African-American in his 40s, all kinds of hormone problems, low testosterone, thyroid suppressed. And he says, I need to lose some weight. Nobody, no man in my family has ever lived out of their 50s. I'll die with heart attacks, et cetera. Here he is, mid-40s, calls me up. He says, you know, I'm wow. 270. This guy played college football at 220, and he was way overweight. But I realized that I couldn't give him a diet plan that was inconsistent with his, his lifestyle. He flies all over the country, travels and goes from city to city. I had to actually take him to fast food restaurants and show him what choices to make. I had to take him to the airport to show him what choices to make. Because those are the places he's at when he's hungry and needs to eat. Sure. And so that's what we created for him was a program that was consistent with him, his lifestyle. He could just pull up to a drive-thru or something, but pick the right things and eat them. How's he doing now? Doing great. Awesome. Yeah, he lost uh, 30 pounds. And, there you go. Uh, that's, that's where it starts. You know, I know Chris and I deal with a lot of athletes, and we have these very... We have some some pretty stringent things that we like to employ. Sure, but it's it's not the average Joe's program. It's not the beginner's program. It's progression. It's yeah. where are you starting now? Yeah. And as we said before, you start taking that next step forward. So for your buddy, your business partner, it's where he is now. If you completely try and change his lifestyle, all of a sudden he's eating organic. He's going to farmers markets. He's not going to follow it. He's going to fall off. He's going to make no progress. Yeah, absolutely. And he'll regress most likely. Yeah, okay, so exactly. it, that slow might, build might, might come back heavier. Ab yeah, probably. And then have have a disdain for diet and stand probably. Yeah. And then not be in business anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a hard time when I do get involved in training folks. I don't like yeah. Chris, I don't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one training. Uh, when I do get involved with training folks, my methods are such that they usually don't come back. 
because I don't count reps. You know, they're like, Uh-oh. how many reps? I'm like, well, when you're finished, you'll be, I, you know, I, when you're done, when you've failed, probably. Got you. When, you're, when I'm picking the weight off you. Yeah, yeah. That's when it's, when it's been enough. Do I get a cheat meal? I'm like, well, I don't, you know, every day is a cheat meal in my diet plan because it's consistent with what you always normally ate. They're just talking about, can I eat an extra 2,000 calories today? Probably not. Yeah. You know, maybe, huh. maybe a little more. Everybody's always trying to look for, when they're in a rigid program, they're always trying to look for, uh, you know, something, a reward. Yeah. But if you're not in a rigid program and you can still eat some of the foods that you enjoy eating, this is why I don't go ballistic when I hear Oprah talking about uh, uh, what, is she, what diet program does she do, the Weight, Weight Watchers. Watchers right now. And they talk about being able to, able to eat the foods that you like to eat. And they yeah. do a calorie counting method. And, you know, for most people, that's a great start. Yeah. It's okay, you know, because... Uh, Meal plans aren't a bad idea. I use one for my wife. I use fuel meals, and, I, and okay. I have them shipped to the house. And I said, you know, here's what you eat. And she got to pick the foods, you know. She has a salmon here, a chicken there, and, and uh, you know, a steak here, and um, whatever carbs she wants. But it's all, it's all kind of measured out, you know, and it's still very healthy. Uh, because she, if she's left to make her own decisions... Uh, she may stray, both in portion size and the type of choices sure. that she makes. If it's kind of there for her, then uh, you know, that helps. It's, this is what I'm going to eat. I, yeah. I, I absolutely love those. It's been working fantastic for me as well. Like I just buy a bunch, have them shipped, and they show up in my fridge yeah. at, uh, in the office. Takes the brain out and, of you. And then I can make sure I can space them through the day and get uh, good quality food in. And then, because if not, I may end up getting caught up with work too long. Next thing you know, I like four or five hours into some project Starving. I haven't eaten. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to run out and grab a sandwich. It'll be the right, you know, it'll, it'll be all right. And I get there and it's like, potato chips. you know, it's a little bit larger. <laughs> yeah. and there's a, there's yeah. a cookie and there's some chips and then yeah. like, I'll work um, it off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly, and that's exactly what happens. Cause I pushed it, yeah. you know, too far. And now I'm, you know, I've got those. I'll pull 900 trade. for two instead of one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the yeah. same way. And, and those aren't, you know, that's not for everybody. I'm just saying those are some easy ways. If you can make it convenient for people, yep. you know, and fit their lifestyle and they don't have to sit down and cook out a whole meal all the time, all the day, then, hey, I'm, I'm all for it, man. This is really about accommodating that individual's personal needs. Yeah, we, we always tell people that they have to plan. It's not a surprise mm-hmm. that you have to eat lunch next Tuesday. Right. So don't act like it, it caught you off guard and you were forced to go downstairs to the grease truck or to yeah. Chipotle or just wherever is kind of that off-brand meal for you. It's not a surprise. We know we have to eat. Therefore, we should plan it. If you have something like you're talking about these meal delivery companies, awesome. There's great benefit to that. If you don't have that access, you well, gotta, you better you gotta prep, prep for it. Prep for it. Get your ass to the supermarket. Spend 30 minutes. Buy the shit on the way home from work or whatever. You know, fit it, and we help people. And that's why I talk like this. We help them fit it into their time. Well, well, you live here. You work twelve miles away. There's four supermarkets on your drive home. You can't pop in on a slow on a Tuesday night when the supermarket's at its slowest. Thirty yeah. minutes, you're home, and you got this big pile of food that you can have prepped up. Um, so it, it's again, we we always push the accountability back on the individual. I can't do it for you. You you guys can't do it for you. You can't even do it for your wife. I can't do it for my wife because, you know, we, we have these same conversations in our, in our own home. It has to be her. We can, I can buy all the food. They can be available. But I'm, I'm at the office right now. I'm in the gym. I'm in Brazil or wherever the hell I am. She's got to pop the box and open the food and, and kind of eat that way. So those listening, it's the same thing. You have to be accountable. Otherwise, we say, well, then you'll just 
get fat and die. Yep. And yeah, even that's, the that's best a choice plan, too. Even the best plan is going to have, you know, you're going to be in a position where you're hungry and you missed a meal. Yep. You're going to be someplace where you don't have access to what you want. You're going to make a plan to go to a restaurant, you know, that's the part of the plan three times a week. Yep. And you know what that restaurant's going to be. Don't make that decision when you get there and start looking at the menu. You should already yeah. kind of have an idea. This is why I had to take my business partner to restaurants, to fast food places, yep. to the airport about the choices he can make when he is in that situation. So, yeah, you can go to Chipotle, but it's what you order when you're there that matters. Yeah. So you it, it's, plan it, ahead. It's, it's yep. pretty easy that when you order, like when I, when I eat out, it's very fundamental, very easy to understand. Here's a basic meal. Remove one carb source and get double the meat. Like all of a sudden now you've changed the, the macros of that meal that's going to help yep. you. There you go. And, and the size like, of the meal matters. Yeah. Some places, you know, <laughs> True. You put a lot of food in front of you. you got to be pretty good. And what, what you guys, uh, you probably do the, the, the fist measurement uh, kind of thing. Yep. We talk in handfuls. Yeah, you, you have to because yeah. the, the size, you know, I don't care what you eat. If you eat too much of it, it's just too many calories. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And our messaging to those traveling, we say lean, green, and clean. Yep. Lean proteins, green vegetables, and clean burning carbohydrates. A child knows what that is. Adults definitely know, so don't act like you had the twice baked twice baked potato because well I didn't know it was bad. No, it's a fucking clean burning carbohydrate. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Get the rice, get a baked potato. I'll, we'll order, you know, I'll get a baked potato with nothing on it. Maybe some salt. You got yeah. maybe a little bit of butter. I'll throw in there, whatever. Um, but like you said, Chris, extra protein typically. Um, half the carbs, because usually carbs that come are shit. No sauce, yep. no seasonings. Put everything on the side. I'll decide because some meals, and we've done the survey, some meals you'll actually get the same amount of calories. There'll be, you know, 50% of the calories will come from the actual food on the plate. The other 50% will come from the sauce and the seasonings or the, the additives on the side. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it's fucking insane, yeah. right? And another thing is, is that we're really bad at judging portion sizes. You have to understand that's a, that's a key element to this when I talk about portion size. Easiest for us to say, you know, eat a little less, you know, get... You, the studies they show, you give somebody a 12-inch plate or an 8-inch plate, they'll put a very different number of calories on those two plates. It's very deceptive what you think yeah. is the right quantity. That's hard to measure. So you got to be, you know, you got to be a little careful about that. Yeah, you no, I, I think in this group here, I mean, we're probably pretty good. No, that's four ounces of steak. That's sure, sure. Six most, people, of chicken. most people, but don't. most of us, yeah. most people do not do that, yeah. and they don't no. see the hidden dangers, like you said, the, the sauces yeah. that, that no. go on it. That, it was just cooked in a bunch of oil. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I have to, you have to tell them, no oil, can you, you know, blanch a, that or, you know, yeah. saute it in water. There's a huge difference between a, a grilled piece of meat, whether it be chicken steak or fish or whatever, yep. and one that's uh, on a flame grill, and yep. one that's cooked on a flat grill in whatever type of oil they put oh, it in. Shit. Huge difference in calories. It could be 300 calories difference in that one piece of meat just on the basis of that oil that it's absorbed yep. and cooked in. And that 300 calories right there could be the difference between losing a pound of fat for the entire week. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right? it's 500 calorie deficit a day is a pound of fat a week, yep. right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about is, you know, target, you know, reduction yep. there. Yeah. You've just lost numbers it. on it. Yep. Yeah, people don't get that. So creating the consistent lifestyle, I think that's what we're circling back to, creating a consistent lifestyle, being accountable, and then slowly taking pro taking that one step forward every day to get to your goals, and nobody can do it. Well, let's include the athletes in here that Chris and I oh boy. tend to be followed by. It's the same on the other end of the spectrum. Yep. When I wanted to get gain weight and I wasn't eating enough calories, you know, I'm not gaining weight, I'm not gaining strength, I'm not gaining size. Uh, one of the things that we talked about with Flex, I believe, when we were here is about training your metabolism. And when I get athletes that are uh, heading towards a bodybuilding show or a powerlifting meet or they just want to gain muscle, yeah. uh, I have to tell them, well, you need to eat more food, but you can't do that immediately. Yep. Uh, same reason if you, if you want a 400 bench, but you currently bench 300. 
You can't go into the gym tomorrow and load 400 on the bar and ask for a liftoff. Yeah. Well, if you're currently eating 2,500 calories and I want you at 4,000, you can't start eating 4,000 tomorrow. It needs to be progressive. Your metabolism can't accommodate it any more than your muscles can accommodate that 400-pound load. Yep. So we have to create both the stimulus and we have to create the, 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 the metabolic capability of processing all that food and utilizing it to grow. Sure. And you can only grow so fast. I can't put 2,000 extra calories in you and expect you to grow muscle. Uh, you're going to grow 400 calories worth of muscle and 1,600 calories worth of fat. This yep. is what's going to happen. Or your metabolism is going to adjust as it does in either direction to accommodate the extra calories or the fewer calories. That, that always happens as well. So it, it's, not a, you know, it's, it's not strictly a math game. But I, what Flex had me do and what I, what I do with a lot of folks now is I'll have them start with the diet they're currently on, and then I'll usually add one meal. And that's where they start. And I tell them to call me back in you know, a week or 10 days or two weeks whenever they're hungry again. And then I know their metabolism's utilizing all that food yep. and that they're hungry. And, and I usually have given them a little extra workload, and so they've created that, that hunger. And then when they call me back, I say, well, add two ounces of meat to each meal. Okay. Well, they do that, and they're like, oh, I'm full again. Okay. Well, call me back in 10 days. Dude, I'm hungry again. And I'm like, okay, well, add a half a cup of carbs to each of those meals. Okay. Same story. We, go this, we do this every 10 days for two months. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, they're up to seven meals, 10 ounces of meat, two cups of carbs with each meal. They're training twice a day, or, or they've added some, you know, if it's a power lifter, they've at least added a little more volume. Yep. Uh, and they've become this, this machine, you know, they're, they're a, just a more efficient in terms of, of utilizing food, which uh, then helps them recover faster. Uh, they can train harder, longer, because uh, they have the, the nutrients available. So I train it on both ends of the spectrum, yeah. uh, not just consistency with restriction uh, to, for weight loss, but consistency with, with overload as we would with weights. You always got to be progression and overload yep. with your metabolism and consuming you know, great foods. If I can eat, I know you're going to hate to hear this, but Uh-oh. if I can eat four pounds of steak a day and somebody else is only eating one, obviously I'm going to have an opportunity to, to perform more. I'm going to have an opportunity to train more, to recover faster. But I can't do that overnight. It has to be it's a progress. Do you eat four pounds of meat a day? I ah, see. That's, that's the problem. I, I get in here and realize that. <laughs> <laughs> when it, and that's a fact. And, I, and I've, I've written about it. I've talked about it. When yeah. Lex and I were training, I mean, we started at, at five meals and six ounces of, of meat per meal. Uh, I have a fast metabolism. I'm an ectomorph and you know, small. And so I always have, have to eat more calories. We worked up to eight meals a day. Uh, 10 to 12 ounces of steak and two cups of, uh, of rice. So if I'm at, at uh, that's going to be 80 to 90 ounces a day of, of steak. Wow. And the reason I chose steak is because I need uh, something that's got a little more calories, a little more fat in it than if I eat a white fish or a chicken breast. Sure. I can't sustain my workload or my muscle mass when I'm 270 pounds. And you were getting bigger and leaner on that diet. At the same time, yeah. yeah. Because the workload was intense. Sure. I didn't have to do any cardio as a result. And, yeah. I mean, when you go to the gym, you're burning calories. Absolutely. So I just choose to lift because I want to stimulate that uh, you know, I think your body responds to the, to the stimulus that you provide it. And I wanted to stimulate that yeah. as opposed to doing cardio. Uh, you know, when you're walking on a treadmill, your, your body says, oh, man, this, this muscle's heavy. It has a high oxygen demand. It has a high nutrient demand. I need to get rid of this muscle if I want to continue to do this cardio. Yeah. And so it's the wrong signal, and it causes your body to respond opposite the way that you want to respond. It's specialization. Sure. And, and again, it's, it's on the competitive side. But um, I think it's important to know it works on both ends. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same exact process. You want to go up, you want to go down, or with your, tr- your training methodology as well. I mean, yeah. that's what we talk about, building that cumulative load over 
that work capacity over 20, yeah. 25 years. I mean, it's you're always adding a little bit more in a progressive manner. You're not jumping to, oh, here's the elite level program. We're going to follow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it, on that end of the spectrum. Uh, you know, being 250, 260, 270 pounds, or trying to lift more weight. Uh, I call it becoming a victim of your own circumstance because you're almost imprisoned by the obligation of all these meals, all these foods, all this sleep, et cetera, et cetera. We love to train. That's the stimulus, but that's not the hard part. The hard part is the, the, the recuperation. Absolutely. If you want to gain 10 more pounds of muscle, you shouldn't be looking at your, your training routine. That's not where you're going to gain 10 pounds of muscle. All you do in the gym is break down muscle tissue. Yeah. If you want to gain 10 more pounds of muscle, you have to have, you have to eat enough food to get there. And then when you gain that 10 pounds, you have to continue to eat that food to stay there. And if you want to gain 10 more, you got to eat more food. So eventually, you're eating 5,000 calories a day yep. just to maintain your weight. And just sitting, just sitting there inactive, you're, you're a jet sitting on the runway, just burning fuel. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it's not because you changed you know, from a flat bench to an incline bench or you created some sort of new fancy superset. That's not what, you know, that's the stimulus. And those listening, and I think that's a great point, diet's everything. Mm-hmm. That training is, is amazing. Training is only the stimulus, though, for this adaptation. But the adaptation only comes if you have the proper fuel. And if you're, you're resting, you're recuperating, you're getting Training's that nine hours of sleep. Part. Training's it's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I love training so much. And I told, told Chris this yesterday. I spend more hours outside the gym preparing myself to be able to continue to train. I'm almost 50 now. And so I need ART therapy. Chris came down and worked with me uh, yesterday doing ART using the boomstick to try and get in and and break up, you know, muscle knots and help me with my mobility. I need to do those kinds of things. I need to do active recovery. If I train legs on Sunday, I'm going to have some pretty severe delayed onset muscle soreness come Monday, Tuesday. And if I want to minimize that and recuperate faster, then I need to go in the day after legs and I need to ride the recumbent bike under tension yep. doing some hit spins, you know, 20, 30 seconds with one minute rest so that I can recover from that workout. I invest more time outside of the gym with mobility work, with active release therapy, with uh, 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 active recovery than I do actually training. Yeah. Yep. And as we talked, I do, you were talking through it and I'm like, I'm doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Slightly different methodology and approach, but the concept is is the same because if I want to get back there and get another heavy squat in, if I miss my marches and the in-between or the day after mm-hmm. my squat, I'm not going to be, you know, recovered enough to come in and uh, yeah. to hit those sessions with the frequency that I do. Let's talk about that a little bit. This is what Chris does on KabukiStrength.com. Yeah. He helps people uh, be better at their exercise and recover from it. Uh, you know, when you're working out, particularly if you're doing a specific kind of workout like a powerlifter does, you're actually restricting your motion. Uh, to, 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 and your muscles will tighten around and, and, and become efficient at doing those particular movements. And so what Chris talks about on his site a lot is, is how do you retain mobility? Uh, how do you continue to maintain the integrity of the joint? Because any time that you restrict movement, now there's a potential for loss of, of mobility. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, if you immobilize a joint like putting a, a cast on or, a, or a, an ankle brace, you cause that to get weaker. It, your muscles will atrophy and your mobility will decrease, right? So the last thing you want to do when you're, when you're done training is just sit around and do nothing. And 
doctors will say, you know, if your shoulder hurts, they'll say, well, you got to back off a little while. And everybody's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going back in. Yeah. Well, yeah, going back in is the better choice than backing off. But what you do when you go in there is what's important. If you continue to stay restricted by any injury that you have, your lack of mobility, you'll continue never to be able to utilize that muscle group through its full range of motion. So when you're squatting and your hips are starting to constrict and now you're having problems with uh, impingement, you, you know, and tearing labrum and stuff, on Chris's side, he'll show you how to open up those hips, how to create mobility so that you can move that, those body parts through their full range of motion and restore blood flow to the area, yep. and then it starts healing itself. And that's what happened with my shoulder. And Chris came down and worked on my shoulder too. When you have an impingement, you're not able to take your shoulder through its full range of motion. Now you're starting to have atrophy in that portion of the movement uh, pattern. And so you're getting weaker, and it'll, it'll get worse and worse. When people get shoulder surgery or shoulder replacement surgery, if they don't do adequate rehab, that shoulder joint will freeze. Yeah. There's amputations associated with that. So that's, that's what's really important and why we do the mobility. I hate doing it, but it's absolutely 100% necessary to be able to continue to perform because I love training so much. I'll do it. Yep. So, and that's uh, kabukistrengthlab.com? Uh, no, kabukistrength.com. Kabukistrength.com, yeah. got it. And the movement portal itself is uh, kabuki.ms, but there is a link on kabukistrength as well. Okay, we'll push that again. And it's more than so, just rolling on a roller no, ball it's or a, something. It, you so know? It's, it's, yeah. it, I want to be clear on some terminology. Because so, yeah. a lot of people, you say mobility, and they're thinking, I oh, it's, an, it's another side. It's a to, stretching It's side. another stretching Sure. Side, and it's not. So one, movement itself is the best healer. Yes. There is nothing better. But quality of movement is king. Yeah. You must have good quality movement. So let me, let me kind of, I, I think a more, more about it is uh, movement prep. Sure. And let me give you a car analogy. So um, I've got a, a rental out there. It's a, it's a Mustang, right? Rent and, the Mustang. And, uh, Not the Prius. No. <laughs> good man. Uh, but uh, there's a little button on the dash uh, for traction control. Okay. You know what that button does? No. So if you if you're driving the car, you know, it's supposed to improve the traction. So if it's wet and slippery, which you don't experience here a lot in Vegas, no. but you know, there's a little ice on the road, some some snow, or maybe it's really slick, it's supposed to improve the traction, right? So that you don't spin off, go crashing into a ditch and injure, you know, your car, yourself. But what it really does, it's the car's nervous system. It's the, the, the computer that controls the car. And to increase traction, it decreases, it detunes the engine itself. It detunes the engine and the transmission shift patterns to reduce the output, the power output to the car. And with the reduced output, all of a sudden you've got better traction. You're not going to spin out. And you have less risk of injury. Decreased performance. Decreased performance. Yeah. And, uh, but if you go... That's that, you know, the Mustang. But if I jumped in a high-performance race car, there's no traction control on that, right? Yeah. What does it have? It's got a performance-tuned suspension and a good set of tires so that when you put that pedal to the floor, it goes. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's what we want. We want good quality movement. The body does the exact same thing. The same systems are in place. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have proper core stabilization, proper intra-abdominal pressurization, and joint centration... The body does the exact same thing. It detunes. Range of motion, nerve innervation, all of those. So maybe you're training with a 400-pound squat. If you put these principles in place, like in your next workout, you're probably going to walk in and squat with 440. I mean, that's how it works. So think about 
I always sell it, sell it that way to the younger lifters because they're not in pain yet and they don't buy the, you know, oh, it's going to make me, you know, healthier, safe, you know, right, safe. Right. They don't, they don't care they're about made that. Of rubber. So yeah. exactly. So it's like, oh, it's it is a performance. It, I mean, it will it will actually upregulate mm-hmm. your system or not detune it. But that's also where the mobility decreases are coming from. Like, oh, why are my hips tightening? I don't have good quality movement. The body's trying to protect that joint, and it's to, to protect it, it's tightening the muscles around mm-hmm. it. So, which also decentrates the joint as well. So it's kind of a repeat pattern. Um, yeah. This is what we worked on in your shoulder. Yep. Um, so we loosened some stuff up in there and allowed that 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 shoulder to open up. Got some extra space. All of a sudden, your impingement issue went away. Yep. And it was visible in your muscle that the the detuning. So oh yeah. Before yeah. we did it, we had him stand, raise his arm, and his medial delt head is just flickering, just yeah. going like spasming. this. It's just spasming wow. nonstop. Mm-hmm. And uh, afterwards, and even the next day, it still there was no spasm, and he's. And, the, and he, he raised it and moved his arm around. There was just a complete hesitation with, like, every movement. We were trying to test internal and external rotation. And it, he's just moving really slow. And you were Because like, I know there's a point at which yeah. it's going to hurt and it's going to stop. I couldn't even put a dish in the and, cupboard. And, and the next, so the next day I see Stan, he's just swinging his arm around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. When you relieve all of those tension points, all the things that are pulling on that, that joint, uh, such as the lat uh, and the pec, uh, and the traps, all the things that are pulling on that joint, causing it not to move, uh, you, you know, fluidly without impingement. When you relieve all of that that muscle tension, then the joint's allowed to move through its own yeah. range of motion without impinging. So what most people do, and they're treating they're treating the the outside issues. They're doing what I call triage treatment. They're going, oh, we're, we're going to, you know, pecs are tight. We're going to stretch them and open up, but they have to do it before every workout, yeah. right? And so what we teach is how to actually go in from a developmental kinesiology approach and get things firing and moving properly, remove those, you know, those negative things that are caused from poor, uh, poor core stability or joint centration as movement preparation. Yeah. And that allows all of a sudden, you know, you do your, you know, five, 10 minute little firing pattern movement prep workout. All of a sudden, those signals go away. You lift more. You don't have the negative effect. And next thing you know, three weeks later, you're like, oh, I don't have to stretch anymore because... Well, that's the thing. Lifting lifting doesn't make you immobile. No. Bad movement does. There you go. Bad movement does. Well, what you just... If you're sitting in there squatting every day, why... you're, you're You're loading the hips with weight through its range of motion. Why would that be making you immobile? Yeah. What? You're why stretching would you, and contracting, why would, yes. Why would you need to stretch the hips? But everybody just assumes that I must, right? Yep. And yeah. so um, so just to kind of differentiate there, and, and I, I also think about it as the concept of, you know, if we talk about it from a training methodology standpoint, um, I use the, the, the term anti-fragility. So there is a lot to specificity of sport. So if you're a powerlifter, you know, you're not going to be a CrossFitter, right? You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be everything to everything. You know, you're not going to be a sprinter. You're not going to, you know, you're, you're going to train at being heavy at, you know, singles and doubles and triples and, and you're going to perform well at those. You're, you know, you're not going to jump on a football play field. You're, you're going to get mowed down because you're not fast enough. You're not, you know, you don't, you don't move in the right way. Yeah. But at the same time, if you don't deal with and create yourself so that any variability in stress has the potential to damage you. Squat bar is slightly offloaded. Yeah. You miss the rack. Um, you know, just minor things. You shifted to one side a little bit. All of a sudden, you blew out your groin, right? 
or you just go to something completely different. Oh, we're going to do some rear leg elevated split squats. Rear leg elevated split squats have huge carryover to squats and deads, mm-hmm. but it's a different movement. And all of a sudden, you strain, you strain a groin. Add, you know, you, you know the VMO, whatever is overtrained. Now you can't squat. So anti fragility is preparing the body so that these other stressors don't have a risk of injury. So what does that mean? Is any stress that you add in the gym is only going to make you stronger, not weaker. So that's, that's the concept of anti-fragility. So I try to bring that in. And so with a training, try to shore up what are those weaknesses um, with the current training program, but not going overboard. We're not going to have you uh, out there trying to you know, maximize your 40 so you can get on the football field. We're not going to have you doing wall ball you know, in the CrossFit gym because those are going to actually be detrimental to your sport. Yeah. So how do we how do we shore that up? But the biggest piece is that understanding that concept of movement preparation and quality of movement is king and understanding how to like see what is going wrong in your your squat, your deadlift, your bench, your overhead press, whatever whatever mm-hmm. it is and actually know what you're doing wrong that's driving the issues that you've got and how to fix it. So it's uh it, it's pretty cool. I mean, I I've got that you alluded to earlier, you know, we've got a lot of like professional strength coaches, but I've got, sure. I've got physical therapists that use our method, chiropractors. Um, like I said, a lot of different pro teams, college teams, just Olympic, uh, athletes. Um, so it's a, it's, this is not a powerlifting thing for these the general, pr- these, pr- yeah. these principles apply to everyone. And the clinicians that yes. I, that I work with, they'll actually, they, they'll use it with their, a 60-year-old woman that comes in their office that has back pain and can't tie her shoes. Let me boil you know, that down. They're going to do the exact they're going to teach them how to deadlift in that first in that first appointment. Yeah. And yeah. because guess what? They they can't help pick up a their their granddaughter yeah. off the floor. Yeah. And it you know brings tears to the eyes all of a sudden when you teach them how to deadlift and they're picking up a 44-pound kettlebell off the floor. Yeah. And they're like, "Oh my god, you've just changed my life like oh. right now." And let me boil that down so, so it's kind of understandable for the general person, the 60-year-old person sure. who who wants to be able to pick something off the floor. Or the general, you know, the people who are out there just exercising uh, for fitness, they like to go to the gym and lift, etc. They want to know well, what's going to help them recover, what's going to help them be more uh, uh, flexible, I could say. Or, or mobile, you know, however we interpret those words to be. Uh, and some things that are, that are important to rem- remember is that uh, those movement patterns, when they go in to be able to, to do that without causing injury, uh, they're going to have to utilize those, those body parts through their full range of motion. And when that mo- range of motion starts restricting, then they're going to start having problems, not be able to train again. After a workout, a lot of people want to know what's the best way to recover. And they're usually talking about some sort of passive thing, whether it's taking an uh, anti-inflammatory yeah. or it's putting ice on or something like that. They, they think that's going to decrease, it's going to help them heal or it's going to decrease their, their uh, exposure to delayed onset muscle soreness. The fact of the matter is that it doesn't work. Uh, it actually delays healing, uh, taking anti-inflammatories that, that, uh, and icing because the acute inflammation is very important. What you're doing in the body when you're working out and creating the stimulus is, is you're intentionally creating some damage. And your body responds to that damage by uh, releasing hormones and bringing nutrition, nutrients to the area and repairing it and making it stronger. And these uh, successive bouts, what I call the law of repeated bouts, these every subsequent workout over this you know, extended period of time with consistency, you do a little more damage, you do a little more repair, a little more damage, a little repair, and, and then you know you, the thing just gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and the muscles you know become 
uh, better. The passive methods that people are searching for, what pill can I take? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, ice can put on it. Those are terrible. Those don't work. But the next evolution is, is what sort of uh, therapy can I get? It's always about what can be done to them, passive, right? Even massage therapy. Yeah. Very superficial and uh, very uh, short in its duration of effectiveness, right? It's, it's, it's not terribly effective. It's passive. You just kind of have somebody doing it for you. Once you start going through range of motions, uh, we talked about doing air squats. We talked about doing you know, push-ups. We talked about mobility work. Once you start actually, this is active recovery. These are things that you can do. A friend called me up and said, oh, God, I just played volleyball for four hours, and I can't walk, and my legs are hurting. What can I take? What can I do? And you hear the same things. You know, is it, is it a steam bath? Is it a, uh, what's that stuff you pour in your bathtub? Epsom that, salt. Epsom salts. Yeah. And like, no, 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 no. None of that's going to do anything for you. Nothing. You have to move. Get on a recumbent bike and start spinning. Work some of that crap out of your body. The blood, the inflammation that's coming there to heal things, there's nothing to take all the crap away. There's a pump, the heart. It brings all the blood and all the nutrients to the area because you've created damage and, and the inflammation is intentional. It's your body's normal response to bring all the nutrients to the area to fix the damage that you just did. But if you're just laying there, if you're using ice or anti-inflammatories, you're preventing the blood from bringing the, the nutrients to the area to heal it. Mm -hmm. So that's why that's bad. But if you're just laying there and you're not moving around, the lymphatic system that's supposed to take all that crap away is not working. The lymphatic system doesn't have a pump. It works with your body. When your body moves, now all of that garbage gets pulled away from there, which is why we want to do active recovery, why we want to get on that recumbent bike the day after, why we want to do the air squats. But, it, but it's work. It's, it's work. It's work. Yeah. But Four-letter word. But, but the beautiful, it's not passive. But it's the, be the beautiful thing about it is it's self-empowering. You own it. You're you in control. control it. How much and, of it you do. And, and, and I've got a question for you guys. Like... What do you think is the number one healthcare cost in America? Diabetes, heart disease, cancer, low back pain. Yeah, <laughs> I would say low back pain. Uh, yeah, I think you set yeah. the question up though. I made did, it I easy did. to answer. You did. You did. <laughs> I should have laid that a little differently, but yeah. and same everybody. With... It's bigger than diabetes. It's yeah. bigger than cancer. It's yeah. bigger than heart disease. Low back pain is the leading healthcare cost when you when you you know factor in like time lost from work and all sure. all these things. And do you know what is the only one of that list that you can entirely manage yourself? Maybe not in all cases if you're in an auto yeah. accident, you know, and you're sure you, I understand you actually physically sure, sure. You know, cause some you know an act, you know physical change to that. But yeah. the most of all back pain can be self managed, and and that's something that's it takes work. And you Chris is right work. about this. I know but it's empowering. Yeah. And this is why he said, you know, we, we talked about the 60-year-old who come in that can't pick up their granddaughter. Yeah. We can teach them how to manage that and make it disappear. Yeah. And but you have but to utilize that, that, that yeah. back. That's what people don't do. It's just it's a stabilizer, and sometimes it just sits there. And the problem is, is when, again, when you immobilize a joint, uh, it, it atrophies. And when your back muscles start to atrophy, then you have all these problems. I'll train, uh, like an NBA player will come to me and tell me his back hurts. And he's a pro NBA player. And I'm like, well, when was your back good? He said, in college. And my first question is, what did you weigh in college? And he might, you know, this guy's 6'7". He probably said 235. I said, what do you weigh now? 220. Yeah. Had an MLS player played over in Europe. He was wow. 200 pounds when he played in Europe. He came to the U.S. to play MLS. And he hurt his back. And I said, what did you weigh when you were your strongest? He said, 200. He said, what, what do you weigh now? He says, 185. 
That's the problem. You start losing muscle, you start losing stability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the graph of that shows that as muscle tissue decreases, injuries increase. And with the 60-year-old lady not utilizing that back, that's why I have such a challenge. But it's, it's the more statistics are clear. Yeah. You're, you're just as likely to recover from a back injury with surgery as without surgery. Mm-hmm. So uh, where's the benefit? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you try Well, and here's, here's the thing. So you have your back surgery, and you never learned how to actually control and fix what caused the back Prevent problems. the problem. Prevent it, right? So now you had your surgery, and now you had rest. So now you still don't know how to deal rest with or manage terrible. it. Rest is terrible. And now you're, yeah. now you're weaker. Yeah. yeah. So what is, what is your chance of, of, you know, of having yeah. a back issue reoccur? Yeah. Much higher. And it's not just the back. I mean, the well, University of Oregon built a $60 million training facility that Phil Knight put in there and, yeah. and has their, all their training stuff in there. I went up over spring break and toured it, and they have a very, uh, they have an incredible state-of-the-art uh, rehab facility with, with you know, PhDs and that help these, these kids every day after practice. They have these uh, water tubs with treadmills down on the bottom of them. And if someone has an ankle problem or a knee problem or a hip problem, movement. Yep. They immediately, they'll submerge them and keep that ankle moving. Eric yeah. Spoto, 722-pound mm-hmm. raw bench presser, held the world yeah. record, got a surgery recently. They sent him home with a machine that moved his arm through the whole range of motion. Might sound passive, but it's really a mechanically active yeah, type sure. of up, up deal. My business partner that I was talking about 10 years ago had a knee surgery, and he came home with one of those cuffs that pumps cold water through and keeps the area really cold sure. for a long period of time. He did it religiously for two weeks at work and at home, and his doctor told him to stop using it. The area wasn't healing. Hmm. So the movement becomes key, as, as Chris is saying. And it's not just relative to the back. It's relative to every joint. Well, it, it's interesting because these, uh, these concepts are not just from lifters. Like I said, we were talking about the 60-year-old woman. It's environmental yeah. factors that drive this because stabilization of the spine is actually doesn't come, you know, when you're moving a load, picking up the grandkid, doesn't come from the erectors themselves so much as that correct intra-abdominal pressurization. And we lose that in society today for so many reasons. There's sitting the, all day, driving the, a car. The, the, the sitting, the stress levels that brings, you know, all the, our breathing patterns break down. So the, the function of the diaphragm yeah. um, begins to break down how it works and operates. And that's the prime controller of creating that pressure. So th- there's this cascade of issues. And like I said, the breathing breakdown also changes uh, what's happening on with the chest and shoulder structure um, mm-hmm. as we start chest breathing we start getting the, uh, the frozen back syndrome, then that leads into, it could be, you know, the knee issues and stuff that we've got. Okay, so now we've got, you know, we, we can't stabilize the core, so we may have hip issues because the hips are connected off of there. We've got poor control of how the knee is or the leg is being used. We've got knee issues. Mm-hmm. This whole plethora of issues, and you go to, a, you know, a practitioner, and they go, oh, the knee, the knee, and they focus just there, right there on this one spot. Sure. And then... Six months later, the knee's back up again. It's not the or, source of the problem. Oh, now the hip is having a problem, or oh, now you got some plantar fasciitis or whatever. But it's it's a you've you, you've you're not finding what is driving those issues. Yep. And the the drivers are some very common themes, very common themes, and that's what we work on uh, addressing. And there, it doesn't matter whether you're a lifter because it's the environmental factors that we have today. The yeah. you know the you know. The, the appearance as well. You got to walk around with your stomach pulled in so it looks good. You've got all the technology uh, in front of you with your phones, computers, and all that that again changes, you know, the, the stress response, the breathing patterns, all this stuff happens. Yeah. So we've got the same shoulder issues, yeah. the same set of issues, regardless of whether you're, 
you know, powerlifter, strongman, football player, or, you know, the sedentary individual. My dad's had two hip replacement surgeries. My hips were so bad that, uh, or my hip was so bad, I couldn't sleep at night. It was throbbing in pain. I could hardly drive a car for an extended period of time. It would just sit there and throb with a bent knee. I couldn't sit in a theater without, you know, being somewhere where I could stretch my leg out and move around. And I couldn't squat, and it, it felt terrible. I went to two different surgeons, got two different MRIs. Both of them told me I needed hip replacement surgery. And I was getting ready to do that. I called Eddie Cohen and asked him what doctor he used. Wow. Uh, so he got his hip replacement surgery. And then, just by chance, I ended up working with someone who did some hip mobility work with me. Very similar to what Chris does on, on his website. Uh, found out that, that the reason why the hip was impinged is because the muscles were pulling so hard on, on the, uh, the femur. The glute muscles were pulling so hard on the femur, it was turning it. Wow. Such that when I tried to bend down, now, you know, it's not sitting in the socket in its normal fashion, and it's wedging and tearing labrum as it starts to, as I start to sit. And so we addressed that problem. We loosened up the glute. Here's the thing about ART, about methods of stretching or doing deep tissue stuff, is that all it does initially is it can help release the joint so that it can turn normally. Well, now is when the work begins. Yep. Now you need to start moving that joint around through its range of motion without pain and damage yeah. that it was causing previously to restore all of the muscles and all of the blood flow and, and everything so that the, the joint itself can start to heal and repair. Because wow. while the impingement's in place and you're limited on the range of motion, the, the, the ranges that you can't achieve are all atrophying. They won't repair. They don't have any uh, blood, nerve innervation. It's all starting to, to die on you. So I did the therapy. I did not do the surgery, obviously. This was before I set my world records. Wow. I could hardly squat. And I did this therapy just twice a week. I, I call it mobility. You know, it's stand up sure. mobility. I have a YouTube thing. So, but it's things like Chris talked about. It's goblet squats with your hips opened up. Yep. You know, it's all kinds of things like that. Little band work on the knees, uh, uh, you know, side to side and forward and back. So you're stimulating the muscles that aren't otherwise being stimulated in those restrictive movements. Uh, I did a whole, uh, you know, program like this with both the ART to, to make sure that the muscle, that the, that the bone could move right within the joint. And then the most important part, I had to move that body part through its full range of motion to allow it to heal. It's exactly what Chris is talking about. Yeah. And that's Subsequent exa- to that, I squatted 900 pounds in the gym. And just like, uh, just like we did two days ago, we, we released... 905. Sorry. 905. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Those five matter. Yeah. Uh, anybody <laughs> asked me about one of my lifts and they add a few pounds, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You take a few off? No, I'm all over. No, no. I'm like, no, nah, man, no, it's, it's on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Google me, bitch. Google me, motherfucker. <laughs> What'd you say? I was just saying, that's exactly what we did with your shoulder the other day. We released the issues, got, yes. got, the, got the shoulder opened up so that you didn't have the impingement, made that disappear. But next step is, okay, let's grab the shoulder rock, which is uh, a tool that I sell sure. uh, for shoulder health. Take it through the strength, full range of and motion. start working it through the full yep. range of motion so that, because we don't, we don't want to with sit. tension, yes. full range of motion with tension. So yeah. the muscles are stimulated. This yeah. isn't just moving it around in no, a circle. No, ab- absolutely not. This is a strength. This is actually a strength development strengthening tool. tool. You got to stimulate those muscles and, so uh, they can start to learn to pull again in the right that's, fashion. That's the next step of the process. Yeah. Is we start doing that because what we want is we don't want a month from now that you're having to sit there and you know have the wife do the you know the boomstick on you. Yeah. You know every day or every other day, right? Yeah. 
Um, so that depends a, on how she uses it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it could be daily. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's where we want to get to is that it, you're back to a sustainable level, and that's yeah. exactly the approach. So we have to do our triage treatment. Open that and up. this was yesterday. I hadn't benched in almost a year since wow. the last video I did with uh, Mark Bell up in Sacramento. It's been a long time, six, mm-hmm. eight, ten months. I can't remember. Yeah, you and were, it, and, uh, and we tested it beforehand with the bar, forty-five pound bar. Yep. And he's like, I had he, to stop he halfway was, up. He, he was, he was like an inch or two off of his chest, and he's like, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. I'm like, okay. No, again, I could not wow. lift and put a dish <laughs> in the cupboard with an extended arm. I'd had to shrug the sh- shrug the traps to put a dish in because wow. my 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 shoulder would freeze. Uh, now, yes, I'm, I'm doing ART, I've been moving my arm around, et cetera, certain, but uh, it's still, it comes back. You have, to, you have to continue to strengthen it. Sure. So yesterday, uh, for the first time in years, we were benching, I did 315 for uh, 10 reps on yeah, the... It was actually the, 325 for a bunch of reps ooh, on the... 325. Ooh, on, there you go. On the buffalo bar, uh, which is a, a greater stretch. Bar, greater yeah. range of motion, yeah. yeah. So, I mean... He's just we, cranking them out, no pain. Yeah, we do this ourselves. I mean, it's like the hair club for men, you know? We're not just the owners, we're, <laughs> you know, we're clients. <laughs> So it, it, it works, and yeah. you know we did it, and we took a video of it. Uh, it, it works; it's very effective. You know, yeah. I've got these problems; I've had these problems for years. I'm speaking from experience, and I'm still in the gym, and I'll throw up a video every now and then of me doing a 140 pound dumbbell for a one arm overhead press. Yeah, and I can do that, but in order to be able to do that because uh, of the impingement, I have to do the ART and the mobility work to maintain the integrity of the joint. Put the time in now. You mentioned the shoulder rock, the boomstick, the duffalo bar. Let's talk a little bit about it, that now, because you've been innovating on it, Stan. You have some oh, innovations also with the cooler, which you guys were kind enough to bring me last time you were here. Tell me a little bit more about what you've been doing, engineering background. That's obvious. Now, we have a friend in common, which is Reese. Um, you hired him to work. You worked in aerospace? Uh, yeah, I ran a, actually ran and turned around an aerospace company. Uh, and along with other companies so oh. over, over a while, yes. All right, so you obviously have that engineering background, but now you've applied some of that knowledge to innovating, I mean, the barbell. I mean, that, how long has a barbell literally been around? And you've actually begun to innovate such implements. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing on that side, and then we're going to talk a little bit about business, because yes, both of you are the duffalo bar. elite entrepreneurs. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm a tinker, and I, I believe... Not a conversa- tinker bell. Whoa. He, Tinker, tinker, tinker. That is a real word. And uh, married with child. Not a a tinker, (laughs) and um, and and back to the concept earlier of continuism. I believe every. I'm always trying to make things better. Like everything in my gym was like one-off stuff that I built because nothing's good enough. Yeah. And so everything that I sell are things that we've developed and we've been using at our facility for five, six years. Who knows how long? Testing it, refining it, making it better. So when I made this shift. And this is actually why uh, Stan dubbed me the mad scientist a couple years ago, because mm-hmm. this is Cause it what, fits. I, what, what, <laughs> what, what, what I do. Um, but yeah, certainly the background in manufacturing. Um, I've run uh, manufacturing companies for 18 years, the last 10 years uh, at the executive level, um, be, director of operations, general manager, whatever, uh, doing a lot of like company or division turnaround type stuff. So yeah, I've got a fair bit of background there. Sure. So it's a really unique piece that because I've been developing the you know the methodology for the movement principles, um, I've got manufacturing background. I've got a test facility. So you said the Kabuki Strength Lab earlier. Yes. So the Kabuki Strength Lab is our gym. This is our human performance lab. Awesome. So everything that we do is tested and validated there. You know, we don't get. You know, you you just raised your pom tom term uh, term a few times the last few days, but like you see so many in the so many people in the industry, they get really excited about the next hottest thing. Yeah, 
got to have your bulletproof coffee. And everybody's posting on Facebook about your bulletproof coffee. Yeah. And, you know. We call it invincible coffee. And then, you know, it's like, well, why don't you do that for like six months and report back if you're still using it? Yeah. Okay. Before yeah. you start promoting and posting it into the. Or your copper it, wristlet. Uh, or, your, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, performance yeah. enhancing wristband. <laughs> so, so, and that's how this stuff gets wind is because yeah. it's exciting, it's new, and people want to talk about it. Sure. And uh, so we don't talk about or share stuff until it's been through our validation process. Gotcha. Like we use it and we still use it today, years later. Yep. Um, so Stan said suggest started with the Duffalo bars. Yeah. So there's been there's a couple bars on the market that are bent bars. Yeah. Um, but I've used them and they were crap. I'm sorry. But yep. there people knew that they liked a bent bar, so whatever company is bends a bar and sells it. But they don't understand actually what's happening. The mechanics. The mechanics, the structure, the back what we're trying to, to allow for that. So the duffalo bar is a bent bar, but the bar is shaped specifically to conform to the back and allow you to get good joint centration with the shoulder, which relieves a lot of the stress. Sure. Um, it drops down enough that it relieves the tension on the bicep. A lot of people don't realize that their shoulder pain is actually residual from their squat, from uh, you know bicep insertion issues. So we take both of those out of there. Now, if you've got good joint centration at the shoulder, that also allows you to stabilize better and get better core stability, which actually reduces your risk of lumbar disc issues. Those are pretty prominent in the strength training game. I don't know sure. if you're aware of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we want to take that out of there. So we basically we remove some of the major issues. So this is why we have like so many other, like if you've got a football team and you've got them squatting, why the heck would you have them doing a straight bar squat that beats the piss out of their shoulders? And their and, elbows. And their, and their elbows. Yeah. Oh, yeah, horrible. Um, so that you can get get them stronger when we can have a bar that's actually specifically designed to eliminate the negative stressors and give you just the focus on what you're trying to accomplish, squatting. Uh, Core stability, transferring power through the hips, from the floor, through the hips, into the the shoulders that are holding the bar. Additionally, mine's the only bar of its type that's designed to also improve benching. So the angle, I have it designed, designed so that the angle where you hold it with your hands causes what we call ulnar deviation. So if you put your hand out in front of you like you're going to bench, yep. now imagine the bar is bent away from you at the close to the thumb. Yep. You're going to have to reach with that. So push that apart away, and you'll see that your shoulder rotates in. Boom. We've got, we've got positive joint centration. Yeah. You're not in this externally rotated position or sorry, internally rotated position, yeah. closing the joint capsule of the shoulder. Yeah, the bench pretty amazing. is responsible for so much damage to and shoulders. And then you take a new uh, new athlete that's never benched before, and a lot of people like teach all these cues and stuff to finally get this groove and pattern that you want. Put them in that bar, and they'll automatically groove a perfectly bench. You wow. have to it's, try it's, it's, it. You really awesome. honestly have to try so, it. I, I, is there, did you leave one at Iron Addicts? There's one at Iron Addicts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then yeah. I, I, since I only get out to Iron Addicts about once a week, I bought another one and took it to the gym next to me. I've and, seen and, you, the it, video yeah. with you in yeah. your car. Because <laughs> I, I used it one time and I was just, Chris had left, I, I feel bad about this. Chris <laughs> had, had left a bar at Iron Addicts for me to use. Yep. And I didn't use it for months. And so stuck in my, in my bad habits, you know, old dog, new tricks. And all of a sudden, one day, I used the thing, and I texted, or I sent Chris a text. I said, "Damn, this bar is amazing! No wrist pain, no elbow wow. pain, no shoulder pain, and more importantly, it replicated the squat movement more closely than the other alternatives, like a safety squat bar or sure. something, which completely throws you out of your, your squat." Yeah. Movement. it's a different squat, and actually doesn't allow you the same uh, shoulder stability, the engagement of the lats. Yeah. A, I won't make it too complicated, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing, and it, it, it 
I didn't think anything about anything except for squatting. Uh, nothing else was, was talking to me, like yeah. my elbows or my shoulders or my knees or anything else. And the important thing about that is 90% of the people who, who call and say, hey, Stan, my elbows are killing me on the bench. I'm like, do you low bar squat? Yep, there's your problem. There you go. And Chris and I talk about, we talked about all this stuff today about active recovery and passive recovery and do this and do that and don't do this. The first most important thing is to eliminate the don't, source of don't, the problem. Don't hurt yourself. Don't, to begin. don't, don't hurt yourself. To begin Whoa. And when you low bar squat, <laughs> your elbows are going to suffer. Yeah. And you have to, uh, I had to do that. That's why I hold the bar out by the knuckles. Okay. Uh, and I was training with a uh, safety squat bar, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to get ready for a meet yep. because my elbows were so bad that the squatting was compromising my benching. Yeah. Uh, with the duffel so bar. It, it works for the high bar squat as well, so okay. it conforms the upper. And actually, amazingly, it's it's awesome for front squats. It just sits there and doesn't want to go anywhere. So that video. I can't I can't actually reach uh, to do front Me squats neither. because of my, my uh-huh. elbows. Yeah. I'm an old beat up. This is why I like, oh, you're a movement specialist and you're all beat up. Why would I listen to you? Well, I learned the hard way. <laughs> it's, yeah. But it's like having but, a heroin act, ex-heroin addict as your uh, counselor, yeah. right? That's <laughs> yeah. what you need. But I can, yes, I can exactly. front squat with no no hands. Yeah, like just you just it just sits there on your shoulders wow. because the the it's it's built to conform to the structure of the back, right? Yeah. And the shoulders. Well, the structure of the shoulders is the same front to back, so it it works fabulous for that. Have you seen? Is there a carryover? Five hundred pound squatter using the duffel bar. Will they squat? The same amount with it, a little bit less, but it's then what is the eventual carryover? It's basically the, the, it's still the same. It's the same squat. Okay. So, it if you if you if for some reason you had like shoulder pain shutting you down or other things like making you not squat as much in that sure. fashion, then you, you do then, more, then yeah. you would probably do more. Yeah. But it doesn't make any of the other squat easier. It's yeah. still the same exact squat. Yeah, I could hardly get under a regular bar. It would take multiple sets before the pain started to ease up a little bit, and it was yeah. really just numbing is what the, that was happening. I jumped under Chris's bar without any real warm-up, and I was able to grab the bar. When I get under a regular bar, I only have like one or two fingers that could barely reach it because gotcha. my mobility is so bad. So it, very user-friendly yeah. and uh, you know prevents the, those injuries. So it's a huge benefit for me. Awesome. And I'm, you know, I, again, I'm not a pom-pom waiver. I don't get paid by Chris to say this yeah. stuff. I didn't use the hey, bar for the longest time. I, I saw you in the gym using it the other day. Yeah. Busted. Yeah. So, so I've been around 30 years, and I'm not a guy that jumps on bandwagons. But yeah. when something works, it works. Yeah. It's just common sense. And if I can prevent, help people uh, prevent the injuries that I've suffered, Absolutely. You know, I'm all over it. So the uh, moving on to the shoulder rock. Sure. So the the shoulder rock is actually a pretty classical device. Uh, well, we're you know, talking to uh, somebody that interacts with MMA, but it's absolutely it's uh, from uh, Indian wrestling from like 400 years ago or something, and it was used as a strengthening tool. And I like to point strengthening out as much as possible because people are like, "Oh, that's a great rehab or mobility tool," and I'm like, "Well, yes, it works as an the output of that because you've got better strength and health in the shoulders and functionality. So of course you're going to have better mobility." It's going to help with the rehab process. Sure, um, but the uh, so it's a it's a mace, um, but it's improved with newer technology, and then also I integrate from a coaching principle because I actually I first started doing mace swing like over ten years ago, and I watched some YouTube videos and I did it, I made some, I, I uh, and then I did them and I'm like, oh man, my shoulders hurt, my wrists hurt, my elbows hurt. This kind of sucks, and so I quit doing it after six months. And uh, didn't meet my six-month criteria validation. Yep. And then uh, a number of years later, I started getting into the developmental kinesiology stuff, and I was doing it. But I, I'm, I'm all, all about efficiency, and I want to get my training in. 
And I would end up spending like 45 minutes doing my movement prep. And I'm like, no, movement prep needs to be done in another 10 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, what if I take the same principles and apply them to the mace swing? So it comes with a video that goes through this, but immediately, three weeks, I was eight years of one of those guys that you go to bed at night and you wake up because your shoulders are throbbing. Like, yeah. this is pretty common in the powerlifting mm-hmm. world. Me too. Three weeks, my shoulder pain went away and it hasn't been back since. Yeah. So I tried it on the next guy. Same result. Tried it on the next person. Same result. I'm like, okay, I'm on to something here. So then it was next of how do I create a tool that's actually functional because um, all the, there are maces on the market right now, yeah. but they're actually designed incorrectly. They're not designed on the classical side of it, and there's, very, there's the reason that a mace is the length that it is. And uh, all of them are too short. They're not balanced properly. So to do that, you are going to end up needing like tons of different maces to actually be able to progress and change. And, and uh, the shorter mace allows you to use, have lar- you, know, a, a, you can have larger jumps. You can have a, a 10 and a 15 and a 20 and you're good, where we need a lot more sizes in there. So I, I made it micro-loadable. Uh, so you can use you know, two and a half pound plates, one and then quarter pound plates, whatever you want. Load the thing up uh, with Olympic plates, standard plates that are in the gym. Heck, I put a full 45 on it and swung it. I don't recommend that for anyone. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless you can deadlift 900 for a double, then yeah. you can go for it. Um, but, uh, uh, and then it, it's got some really nice features because it's all steel. The balance is just, it's, it's superb. Um, the handle's knurled. You can, it, no. it's flared. So it's just, it's, a be- it's the best tool of its kind on the market. And it's also the only one that comes with clinically evidence-based approaches on the queuing methodology. Yeah. Hmm. So, so it is, I mean, there's nothing out there that, that comes close to it as far as It's the hard quality. for people to picture because we're on the radio. And so you really sure. want to go to kabukistrength.com to see a demonstration of it. And I had never used it before until he brought it up. It's about a three-foot metal rod with a weight on the end. And I'm oversimplifying it on purpose. I want people to understand kind of what it, what it looks like. Uh, and it's the only thing you can use. And we just talked earlier about once you get, once you have the ability to rotate, you know, you're, you're not an impingement, you need to strengthen your shoulder joint. Uh, the shoulder joint's one of the most um, uh, movable. Uh, you know, it uh, flex and extend, it, it'll abduct, adduct, and it'll circumduct. Uh, and in order to strengthen that, traditional bodybuilding exercises don't don't can't hit all of those areas. Yeah. I've always said I was better. Uh, I, I was fortunate to have have competed in both bodybuilding because it helped my powerlifting because I do so many different exercises from so many different ranges of motion and angles that I don't have very many weaknesses. Well, here's something that handles the circumduction. If you can, uh, again, we talked earlier about if, if you can take that uh, body part after, uh, when it's freed up and you can move it through its full range of motion under tension, now you're going to create the muscles are, and the, the, the muscles around the whole capsule are going to start working synergistically like they're supposed to, to control that joint so it moves like it's supposed to without injury. Okay. The weight, as you, as you circle it around and behind you in front of you, and allows your shoulder to go through circumduction with tension throughout the entire range of motion. And that is what creates the stability in the joint. It's all about creating stability. It's like we talked with the back earlier. You have to move that and strengthen the stability of the joint uh, yep. in order to, to improve. And it does a couple other things, too. So obviously it develops rotational strength. Yeah. So if we talked about the anti, anti-fragility. Yep. Guess what? A lot of strength, a lot of people in the gym don't do anything for rotational strength. Right, and uh, it's so hard it's to short, because it, the, the the weight that they're using, 
only has one yep. force, and that's down. So this is why I've got a lot of pro baseball and Olympic track and field throwing athletes starting to pick it up as yep. well. Yeah, sure. Um, the other thing, from a pure athletic standpoint, think about Muhammad Ali. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. What does that mean? Speed to contraction, speed to relaxation. Yeah. Your speed to relaxation is actually a, a key indicator of a high-level athlete. Yeah, it's Olympic and, weightlifters. That's one of the yep. keys to their success is being able to relax and then engage those so muscles. So a lot of guys that are like pure gym ath- athletes, they're, they're, they, they have tension all the time. Tension. They never release the t- They don't yeah. learn to release the tension, yeah. which has very little athletic carryover now. So the, the, uh, the shoulder rock done properly force you have to be able to learn to re- relax and contract very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Stuart McGill calls it pulsing. He works, um, gosh darn it, Je- George St. Pierre sure, uh, sure. Works with, has worked with uh, Stuart McGill, and he has him do like some towel swings or something like that. Same, very uh, similar. Very similar. It's the yeah. same pulsing effect. shoulder up. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, so it's it helps develop that. So it's, that's purely athletic, which carries over huge to like your your sport. Sure. Um, so this is uh, you know. It, Let's it, talk about how that's relevant. Even if you aren't doing sports, a lot of people get these knots in their yeah. traps, and you know, and you got to learn to relax. Yeah. What people don't understand is you cannot go to a massage therapist and get deep tissue and have him sit there and dig his thumb into the knot and fix the problem. Yeah. That's not how the problem is resolved. The knot is there because the connection between that portion of your muscle in your brain the, the brain won't let it relax mm-hmm. and you can't force it to relax you go, it might feel good a little painful a little it, good it does, that's but fine it, line but it's going to come back it's going to come gonna, back you're, you're gonna not get the fixing the problem you, you cannot yeah. you cannot uh, get massage therapy or deep tissue therapy and work on those knots it is not breaking them up it doesn't do anything it's a it's a it's a nerve connection with the brain that's not allowing that muscle to relax yeah so that's a, a terrible way to try and solve that problem. You need to start to utilize these movement methods to teach that muscle to, to contract and relax so it gets comfortable that it can, and then it will. And I forgot to mention the most important piece. Uh-oh. Yes. You look like an absolute fucking badass. Yeah. You swing the shoulder. That's true. That's so you, you want to make some uh, awesomes to Instagram. This is, yeah, we this got, is the we ticket, got a photo you know? of uh, yeah. I think you got a video of Eric Spoto, <laughs> yeah. 330 pounds <laughs> out there swinging the thing. Uh, it's just, it, yeah, it's Crow Magnet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So taking this now, I want to. And it's used, so it's, it's used in various uh, uh, physical therapy offices, sure. uh, chiropractors, so on. So it's a, this is not just a gym tool. Like, um, this is something that is used in uh, performance. You know, you know, very highly educated people are using this product. Sure. Are you familiar uh, with the company on it? Yes. So maybe I'll, I'll put you in touch with those guys. There's probably a little synergy. I think uh, great distribution model, but they're always looking to innovate, and there might be there's a conversation. I'm sure. Yeah. You guys yeah. Can no, I'd be interested. There's uh, they have one that's designed correctly, but it's only one week weight. Is that so. the on the bamboos, the, the one that's on the the wood stick, the wood stick, yeah. But it's again one weight, yeah. But uh, all the other ones, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a good start. So, I warned you on the way in. We're kind of long winded. I don't know what your time looks I, like. No, hey. I, I have one story I got to tell. That's really relevant. It's really recent. I think it applies to everybody. Oh shoot! And it's completely different than everything we've talked about so far. But I'll tell you a little story about vitamin D. Okay. Vitamin D, which everybody knows how important it is. It's not really yes. a vitamin. It's a hormone. I mean, yes. it, I think it does it a disservice to call it a, a vitamin because then people don't consider it to be very important. Yes. But vitamin D is huge. You know, it's converted from, uh, your body makes it from the sun. 
and a lot of people aren't in the sun. And uh, it's hugely important in the way that, that uh, it interacts in the body and makes so many things uh, effective. And I've always been preaching to people, hey, take vitamin D. And I take 4,000 IUs a day of vitamin D3. Yep. And I thought, okay, I'm covered. You know. Uh, brief aside is, anytime anybody asks me what to take, I ask them what they're deficient in. Yeah. I, I got to know that first, or I yes. have no idea. And that's why I do blood tests. I do them regularly. Probably in the last 10 years, I have 300 blood tests. I used to do them monthly when I was competing. Now yeah. Every other month. We do them quarterly. So I can monitor all that. Yep. So you know, you know, there's so many things on there. We could spend a whole show just on that. But with respect to the vitamin D, I was taking 4,000 IUs a day, so I didn't throw that into my blood test. Well, last fall, I started feeling terrible. I started feeling weak. I was deadlifting heavy at the beginning of the year. I was doing yeah. all those appearances. I was pulling 765 for doubles and stuff and doing those 20-rep squats afterwards. And then it st things started to decline. It started feeling heavier and heavier. My bones started aching. I'd go in to do a, a regular workout, dips or chin-ups, and my bones started aching. I'm like, this is unusual. This was all last fall there, November time uh, around there. And I couldn't figure it out. My head was sweating a lot, and uh, you know, it, that, which is one symptom of vitamin D deficiency, by the way. Uh, vitamin D deficiency is rickets. Huh. So, I mean, that's how powerful that vitamin D is. My bones were hurting. My muscles were I wasn't recovering as fast. I was getting up in the morning tired. Wow. Uh, and it wasn't a sleep issue. I use a CPAP. You know, I'm 270 pounds, so, yeah. you know, of course, I'm, I'm going to use a CPAP. So my sleep was perfect before that. Um, all things being equal, and I track it very carefully, I couldn't figure out what the problem was. So I finally I did a blood test back in November, and I threw a vitamin D test on there just for shits and giggles and some allergy stuff, whatever. Comes back, the range is 30 to 100. I was 30. I'm like, How could I be 30? I took 4,000 IUs of vitamin D a day. It was the only thing that was, that was deficient that I hadn't you know, already been monitoring for months and months on a monthly basis. So I upped it from 4,000 IUs to 8,000 IUs a day. A month later, I got a test. I was at 36. Upped it from 8,000 IUs to 10,000 IUs. A month later, I was at 46. Now, understand that vitamin D recovering from a deficiency takes many months. It's not something that you remedy overnight. So sure. You've you got to find out the problem. You've got to start you know, tackling it. A month later, uh, 12,000 IUs a day. Uh, I was at 60. I feel incredibly better. Bones aren't hurting. And nothing else has changed. My training hasn't changed. My diet hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. It's about as causal as I can, you know, there's so many factors. You always hate to correlate causally, causal cor correlation. But that was the most significant thing that I did and the only significant change, and I feel amazing. I, I, my, my sleep's better. I wake up in the morning. My head stops sweating. My, my bones don't ache. I recover faster. All of these factors. Here's a kicker. For like five years or more, I've been watching my hemoglobin A1C, as my blood sugar, it's an indicator of, of potentially, you know, type 2 diabetes. Um, it's a measurement that averages your, your, your blood sugars, your insulin levels over the last three months. I monitor that all the time because insulin sensitivity is important to us because we eat a lot of carbs, we want to utilize them, we want to recover well, and we want to be able to work out. I had reduced, I had taken carbs out for 30 to 45 days at a time, no carbs, I'd done all the uh, uh, cardio work, just even just the walks, uh, running stairs. Uh, you know, I'd, I dropped, when I stopped competing, I dropped from 290 down to 255. So I was in great shape, very low body fat. I, was, uh, I wasn't just weightlifting. I was, sure. I was also doing cardio, sprinting stairs, doing HIIT training, also doing steady state cardio walks in the morning. Took out carbs for six weeks. Didn't affect it. Went from maybe, so the pre-diabetic range is, uh, starts at 57 
and I would, I would go right around between 5.6, 5.7. I would bounce back and forth, and I could never figure out, even when I implemented, uh, you know, took cinnamon. One month, I took metformin, huh. which is supposed to decrease hemoglobin A1C. But I hated taking it uh, uh, because exercise is twice as effective as metformin. Cinnamon is just as effective as metformin without all the side effects. Metformin pushes your pancreas pretty hard. Uh, so, I, you know, I recommend nobody take that, I, really. But I, I did. I tried. Took it for a month. No movement in hemoglobin A1C. As the vitamin D went up, my H, hemoglobin A1C went down. Interesting. At 30, I was at 5.7. At a vitamin D of 36, it went to 5.6. Vitamin D of 46, it went to 5.5. Vitamin D of 60, went down to 5.3. That's low. My insulin sensitivity improved. I mean, that, that's a huge yeah. measure. That's not something you could do you know, with any other method, yeah. whether it be metformin, whether it be cinnamon, whether it be exercise, to move that far on the range of the scale. I can only attribute that to that vitamin D, that really. That, I, and, and vitamin D is shown to improve insulin sensitivity. Sure. That, that's, that's in science. So it's there, but to that dramatically... And to see that happen just over the four months that I was doing it. And as my hemoglobin A1C improved, my performance improved. I was able to utilize more carbohydrates, store more. My uh, 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 workouts, I had more stamina, more endurance. Uh, I wasn't tired after eating carbs. You know, typically, you eat yeah. carbs an hour later, you get, you get you know, carb overload. That doesn't happen anymore. As I have more energy throughout the day. I don't get those, those deep, you know, I, 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 I got to sleep. I got to, you know, I'm just tired. I just ate some carbs or whatever. And I don't take any uh, stimulants like coffee or anything. Yeah. Uh, never have. So isolating those factors with all the measurements that I do, uh, you know, the, the take of this story is, and, and most doctors you talk to will tell you that, that most people are, are vitamin D deficient. Yeah. Uh, particularly African-Americans uh, because they don't utilize the sun as well. Uh, to, to convert to vitamin D, uh, is that people should include this test, and they should pay very careful attention to it, not just because of what vitamin D uh, itself does, but all the other things it affects. And how many IUs I use are you taking a day right now? 12,000 IUs. And, of course, I'll measure next month and find out if I, you know, at some point I may be able to come back down, sure. you know, to 10,000 or 8,000. You can do uh, vitamin D injections as well. Vitamin D3 is the one that you want to substitute. Yeah. I was taking it. 4,000 IUs a day. I thought I was covered. It's the whole thing yeah. about, you know, you pop a vitamin, you think you're good, but yeah. you don't know. This comes back to the uh, test and validate discussion, too. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm on 12,000 IU of uh, D3 based, yeah. on, based on my blood work that, we I, go. Exactly. that I do regularly, um, See that? either monthly or yep. quarterly. Yep. But it comes, it, we were talking about this, too, the other piece. Like, people always say, what's your supplementation? Because they just want to copy what you're doing. Sure. It's right. Like, well, it depends. It changes. And it's not your what your supplementation. You need to understand, like... Everybody's unique. What your deficiencies are, how you respond. Yeah. And so that's why I never get in, engaged too much in those those discussions because it's like, are you doing blood work? Are you, you know, are you monitoring this stuff and figuring out what you need? And I hate that there and isn't how, and a how consistent you re, And how you respond. Yeah. yeah, I hate that there isn't a consistent answer. I hate that I can't tell somebody, you got to take 4,000 years of it. And anything. Yeah. I hate that I can't tell them exactly what to eat because I don't know how they're going to respond. And that kind of makes them a little bit... Uh, you feel a little more powerless because you're like, oh, I don't know. And you got to get started and you got to get, you know, get measured, that which gets measured. And that was your, your first point was, well, what are you deficient in? Get blood test. And they look at you, typically their eyes open. They're like, well, no idea. I have no idea. They don't know. I just want to lose weight. I want to I look yeah. like you. I want to lift that weight, whatever it is. Yeah. And we push here. It's blood work. Every client we work with, we want to see your labs. If you don't have them, 
go to the doctor, yeah. spend the 150 bucks or whatever it costs. And I know you're you're associated with a, a blood test. I've been getting blood tests uh, sometimes through doctors. Sometimes it's a pain in the butt. Sometimes they won't test everything. Sometimes, uh, however that be. Which is mind-blowing, right? There's, there's some that just aren't as knowledgeable in such a broad range of topics. Yeah. You might have to go to multiple doctors. Yeah. So I've gleaned what information I can over the years from, from my studying and working directly with doctors. I've worked with you know probably half a dozen different HRT doctors, if not 10, over the last 20 years. Yep. And so uh, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I have enough information to where I can ask the right questions. Yeah. So I was using private MD labs. Okay. Because I, I, I use them as well. Yeah. Because you use, you, I use the same company. Same company? Yeah, okay. you just log on to private MD labs, and you enter your information, and they'll send you to a, a local lab corp. You can ask for whatever test you want. You pay for it. Yep. You, they send you a, a requisition form. You go down and get your test done. Three days later, they email you the results. Yeah. Now, I'm not for people diagnosing themselves, but you have the information. It was easy to get, and then you can quickly see it says where you're high or where you're low. Then you can start from there to ask the right questions yeah. or engage somebody in, in help resolving the problem. I actually contacted them about a year ago, and I said, look, uh, I'd like to, you know, to put this out and get people to use it more often. And they said, well, great. Well, let's... We'll give you a discount for your customers. And so I send people to my website, staneferting.com, and there's a little link on there. You click on blood test. Yep. It takes you right to, to the same company, Private MD Labs. But if you type in Rhino as a discount code, you get 15% off. Boom. So I'd encourage it, and I usually uh, get a test called the Male Ultimate Athletic Profile, and they have one for females as well. Okay. Very comprehensive. I mean, it's five pages of stuff oh, that, wow. that uh, any doctor... A lot of doctors, when you go in with insurance, will only give you a, a small battery of tests. Yeah. And they won't even request mm -hmm. hemoglobin it's, A1C or vitamin D or, it's or hard hormones. To, it's hard to find yeah. a good doctor that will actually know and schedule that stuff for you. Yeah, and, I, and yeah. I'm not trying to put myself up here as the expert. I, I, I hate doing that. But I'm saying is you got to get started, and that's a great place to start. And then if you need to ask questions, then you can start to... Absolutely. It's just getting that initial blood work. And to your point, it's finding a doctor that actually understands it and is, is open to allowing you to understand your body and track these looking for the deficiencies, looking yeah. for the imbalances, yeah. and knowing, and it sounds like you guys are on the same page, you know, we, we teach you want to get your blood work done every three months because you could be in that, and a lot of doctors say, oh, no, you're fine. You're in range. Yeah. Well, what if my in range... <clears throat> see you next me, year. See you next year as I slowly am creeping out of my range, and I've been trending over the last three years or so where we could have, like to yourself, with vitamin D... Well, 30, 30 to one twenty or what it was, you're fine. Yeah, and you could say, "No, I'm fucking terrible right now. I'm not fine." I'll, I like the benefit of knowing where my deficiencies are, so I can correct them. Yeah, but I also like that if someone suggests a protocol for that, like if someone wants you to take this Chinese herbal because it's going to uh, fix your cholesterol. Yeah, you can try it for thirty days. Yeah, and get another blood test. And if that Chinese herbal didn't improve your cholesterol, then you don't buy it again. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so yep. there is an experiment, uh, a process of experimentation along the way to see what works for you. But at least you can measure: did it work? Yeah. And like Chris said about program hopping, we stick with things until we can see where the start point is and where we can measure it again at the end point. We can validate the the, the results, and we try not to, um, uh, you know, commingle too many things at once because then you can't specifically pick out what helped get you that result you yeah. know if you, if you if you throw a shotgun at it you don't know uh, so we try and be pretty particular about what we implement like yeah. a specific instance of the vitamin d i wasn't doing 10 other things to try and solve that problem yeah with the a1c or that's a good story good so. point but the blood tests are huge i've got to 
Everybody that contacts me has to get a blood test. Absolutely. At the Olympic Training Center, you're headed there next month, aren't you? Uh, June. Uh, June. Yeah. Every athlete that comes to them, they get a blood test. Yeah. And they say that half of them are iron deficient. Uh, yeah. And women, it's three quarters. Yeah. And one of the first things they do is start to remedy deficiencies. That yeah. increases performance. Yeah. So you can take all the creatine you want, but if you're not fixing deficiencies in your system, you're not going to perform. Yeah. I want to jump to your most effective strength and mass building program at any level, the advanced level, breaking 2300, squatting 880. What type, what goes behind that type of program? Because you guys, you're, you're high level, high level athletes, but also as businessmen, and there's people listening, they think they can only do one thing or the other. They can only be a really, you know, good provider for their family, and they're fat and, and dying, and they're not even aware of it because they're not pushing outside goals. Um, or the meatheads that all they can do is go to the gym, and they let the, they're living on their mom's sofa at 35 years old, letting everything else in life kind of fall apart. You guys are well established. Stan, you've owned three different companies, from what I see. Yeah. Highly successful, great job, top one percent. Chris, same thing. You are, you know, Kabuki Strength is your company. Mm-hmm. One of innovator, new technologies, but also you have your engineering degree and you're building spaceships or whatever else <laughs> on your spare <laughs> spare time. Uh, not doing that anymore. <laughs> I, I left that. Uh, I left that. I was quite successful in that career. Quite successful. <laughs> They're also super successful from as a professional um, standpoint. Well, not that you're not professional athletes. Also, I put you in that same box. But I want to let's talk about athletes. So you're running these businesses, and this is where we're getting to. You're running businesses. You're running teams. You, you're innovating. You're, you're creating finance. But also, you have the competitive desire to get in the gym and achieve certain goals. Now, those goals, your goals, are world class. You know, very few, if any, people on the planet have ever been able to do it. And most never will. So the program behind that, we talked about sacrifice earlier. You have to sacrifice a lot of pieces of your life in order to be successful anywhere. And that's, it's a decision. We decide, I'm going to do X, therefore, Y and Z, sorry, got to push it down the, lo- down, down the road. So what did you sacrifice to achieve those goals? But I want to, for the meatheads listening, give us a little dirt on those programs. What was the most successful thing? Like Louis Simmons always talks about the box, box squat and the conjugate method. I don't right. know if you guys are kind of in that philosophy. Just give a little meat yeah, on not it. not really. Sure. But, um, go ahead. I'll, I'll lead off here. Um, if I get a little too technical, go. let me know. We'd love it. Because this is, it, it, it can be a little technical. All right. So you imagine this high-stress life. I'm, you know, corporate executive responsible for running, you know, multimillion-dollar, you know, companies. Everybody, everybody's job there relies on what I do. I'm managing you yeah. know, business relationships with like Boeing, Bombardier, you know, stuff like this. And uh, at the same time, I own my gym. I'm training. I've got two kids at home, wife, yeah. and uh, you know, as far as sacrifices, yeah, that's that's pretty much my life. I mean, I do yeah. have. Uh, off-roading and fabricating too, um, but outside of that, that's that's kind of it. You know, yep. like I have to decide and go, what do I want? What are my priorities? But as far as training, you think about that life and the stress levels and the you know like that you don't know where you're at. Like a you know a brutal day, you know at the you know at the office can can take its toll on you. Sure, you may be physically there, but you just don't have it. You know, you're just shot. Your your mental reserves are gone. So I've relied heavily on auto-regulation. So auto-regulation is basically just managing your training program, you know, based on your recovery response and adapting. So a lot of people do this with like a, uh, uh, an RPE method of like uh, rating a, from a 1 to 10 sure. or a reps in reserve or any of this method. I use technology because 
those methods are subjective. It depends on how you feel. And guess what? You know, if you're deadlifting, you know, 700 pounds, 800 pounds, or, you know, even if you're lighter, like if you're towards those maximal weights, 750 feels heavy. Yeah. What's the difference between that and seven? Say it's all heavy. (laughs) Like I can't tell the difference between that and seven seventy. Or like, what should I be training today? So for the last five or six years, what's really helped for me, and also takes the ego out because I'm a pretty driven individual. No, Stan is as well. Is sometimes the ego kind of takes takes a hold to, and you do things that you shouldn't be doing. Like I shouldn't have gone up that heavy. You know, I shouldn't have. You know, I shouldn't. I should have rested. You know, I shouldn't. And so managing that. So so first I started playing around with uh, HRV, uh, heart rate variability, which is, you know, measures the difference between the sympathetic and parasympathetic sides of this nervous system. Um, but it didn't tell me, like, today, what do I put on the bar? And it was post. It was like the next day. Oh, well, you pushed it too hard today. You got to recover. I'm like, I, I didn't need to know that now. I need to know it gotcha. yesterday, like, mm-hmm. what I was doing. So, So we use... Excuse me. Uh, velocity-based uh, training. Okay. So we have a velocity measuring tool. You know, we attach to the barbell, and then that. You, there's several different methods of using that to determine when, like, your drop-off point is, or when to when to quit, or how much weight to put on the bar. And now we've taken it to a method where we're creating a, a profile for every lifter for every lift. So we could take like Stan's bench press, and hit the speed of his bench press is basically a genetic marker. Uh, outside of maybe some technique changes, 80% of his max is always going to be the same exact speed. So on any given day, based on that, on any given warm-up set, we can project his actual max that day without maxing and then adjust the training program based on that. Huh. So maybe at 6.05 today and... You know, the kids were up late overnight, you know, like crying and screaming and da da da. And he's coming into training a little fatigued, doesn't know how he's doing. Maybe it's 580 today. We can adjust that on the fly and know exactly where it is before he even gets to his working sets. Um, so that's an incredible tool from the auto regulation standpoint. Sure. And so that's how, how we use that. And for me, that's it takes care of two issues. One, my ego. I do have one. Um, I do kind of push things a little harder than I should <laughs> sometimes. And the other is, you know, managing the, all those other stressors in life. So um, the training method that, uh, that we use is, is, again, we try to back evidence-based stuff. So it's a lot of the research that was done on how you vary intensity and volume uh, that was done in the, uh, the Eastern Bloc, you know, through the 60s, 70s, and, and 80s um, over multiple Olympic cycles. And so they developed a methodology for for varying both of those factors over like four week training blocks, which is some of what Louis does, but he's gone kind of a whole different breath method. And yeah. I used to use that, but I don't anymore. Um, but those athletes were removed from their families. They didn't have jobs. They lived in the training center and all they did was train, eat and have active recovery <laughs> and rest. They live stand. Yeah. They, uh-huh. they live they stand. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so get, guess what other factors they had? None. But you've got traffic to deal with on occasion, too. So even that, like, you know, there's small things that can actually have a, you know, a, an effect. Sure. Um, so the data collection w- was, was amazing, but it doesn't apply to us. So now we take those, those very researched methods and we overlay autoregulation over the top of that and then individualize it based on, 
your individual profile. So I have my profiles. Last meet I did, I was telling Stan this story. I do huge weight cuts. Yeah. I'm sure you know something about this, right? A little bit. Um, so guess what? You know, if you put 40 pounds back on in a day, Shit. Uh, you have no idea. You, what you squatted in training doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. One, you're not going to squat it, so you know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, you don't know where you're at. It's all guesswork. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's reverse this. Because we actually don't actually have it like, I, I, I use the projected, the actual max as uh, just to help explain the concept. But we like give a range. Like we want your training at 80% and here's a window. And if you're in inside of the window or outside of the window, we tell you what to do. Um, either adjusting the weight up and down or dropping sets, reps, so on. So there, um, but we actually reversed it for that day to go, okay, let's monitor every one of my warmups and project my max. And uh, I ended up missing my first two lifts because I wasn't, I didn't hit depth. It was just, uh, gotcha. it was like really, okay, they were, dredging was really strict, no problem. I got to dial it in. I had one last attempt and I wanted a specific total and I knew I needed 870 pounds to hit that total. Gotcha. And uh, so we ran my projected max and it said, I'm good for 875. So I said, you know, all I got to do is just hit depth. Yeah. And I'd missed 850 twice. So safe bet is let's keep it at 850 and just run with it, right? Sure. I'm like, no, I, I, this is all, all I got to do is fix the depth. Numbers say I can hit 875. We loaded 872 on the bar. I nailed it. I was probably good for 874 that day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I got right. 872. Right. So that's how, you know, how tight that is. Wow. That's a pretty amazing tool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of, we're using a combination of, Objective feedback, subjective feedback, uh, technology, you know, evidence-based principles, and uh, our clients see amazing results. This is what sure. I do. Um, I've got a guy that, um, you know, team that does our numbers, uh, developing the training plans uh, for our athletes, and so the head coach there actually does my own because I don't have time to to sit down and, and, and crunch the numbers and run that myself. So, you know, we've developed the the methodology over the years we practice it we implement it yeah. and then I trust one of my guys to write my stuff for me yeah wow so yeah in it depth. works you know after thirty years I, I do a similar thing intuitively if uh, my warm ups yeah. you know exactly you know so how it this feels is, so if we go back and you take a lot of these big lifters and you go oh you know such and such lifter let's follow their program from from you know this specific point well they had a coach that was an amazing coach sitting in the room calling the weights for them yeah. how do you think they were calling the weights the speed of the warm ups their speed of the warm ups yeah. they yeah. knew what and and they knew what they wanted them to do and okay. high skilled levels athletes same thing and be able to do that now we try to make it a little bit we, we try to we're trying to take it another step further yeah um but you know not everybody has 30 years of training experience no. like you to to be able to do this stuff and you have to be highly skilled too and very intuitive and yeah. very yeah. like this is not an everybody can do thing so we try to take all that out but that is that is exactly it and if you look at any of those people and this is where i always go you can't just take, let's say you have developed to that high-level athlete of this person that did this epic lift, and here's their training program that was published, and you're just going to follow it. You have to understand the difference between prescriptive and descriptive training programs. That program was written after the fact, after the right. map mapped their training cycle, and they, they had an upward, you know, they had an upward line of strength, you know, over the training cycle, but it wasn't a linear line. Yeah. It's a wavy line that goes up and down based on their recovery, the training that was applied, and now you're going to overlay what you're going to do, and you're going to follow exactly what worked for them. Yeah. 
that's you're following a descriptive plan, not something prescriptive. Uh, and, and what he hit on there is yeah. important. Having a great coach is yeah. huge. It's why I sought out Flex Wheeler. It's why I sought out Mark Bell. Sure. It's huge. That's why a lot of people go to Westside Barbell. He's seen so many people lift for so many years that, that you know he yeah. can he can give some input. That's and that, that's a huge. There's a big difference between training at Westside with Louie watching you and engaged and coaching you. Yeah. Then going. Oh, the, it's the West Side barbell techniques that work. Yeah, and following a program. Yeah, it's, it's completely these are not different. these are two different things. Well, and the yep. second piece so. of that is is that when you are training at West Side barbell, and I've talked about this before, probably one of the most uh, uh, key one of the most the reasons why they've been so successful is because when you're training there, you're training with a bunch of savages. Yeah. That's why I flew up and stayed and, and, and lived uh, in Sacramento and trained with Mark Bell. He had a whole bunch of big lifters in there, and every day was a war. And at some point, and we're all a little bit crazy when we're at the, the upper end of this business. Yeah. At some point, when you're around <laughs> a bunch of other crazy people, you have to take your body somewhere it's never been before. And this is way up in the upper echelons of performance. But if you continue to do what you've always done, you're going to get the same result. Yeah. And so when you're around a bunch of these guys and when you see it happen, it becomes believable. And then you can try it. And that's what happened when I was around those great athletes. I mean, I'd go over and I'd train with Dan Green. I went out and I trained with Eric Lillybridge. Yeah. I mean, I've trained with some, some great, great lifters. And when you see it happening, suddenly, you know, you take yourself to a whole new level. Yeah. So, yeah. Environment is, is huge. Great coach, great yeah. training partners, great environment. I mean, that's, that's monstrous in terms of... of uh, of success, so that plays into the exactly the, the answer to the question that you said. If people yeah. want to put themselves in the position to be more successful, to do what we've done, we think those things are important: a great coach and a great uh, uh, team or training partner environment. Surrounding yeah, yourself lot, with success. A lot of people yeah. think at, at my gym think that uh, me and one of my training partners really dislike each other because we're <laughs> constantly chasing and like you know sure. like at each other's oh, throats for war. like for yeah. these numbers because we're right in the same neighborhood for numbers and. He's getting close to break twenty three hundred rod yep. his next meet here in a couple of weeks. It's a battle, and uh, but in fact we have no dislike of each other whatsoever. But it comes across yeah. as it because like, I hope he's not a two seventy five or I'm going to dislike him. No, he's, <laughs> three, 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 he's a three oh eight. All right, yeah. he, he enjoys his McDonald's a little too much. Uh, so. uh-huh. <laughs> now, let's talk about the the sport of powerlifting. You have the raw, and then you have equipped. What are your? Because it seems like a lot of the the sport now is getting back towards the raw side. You guys compete, you know, on the the raw side seems much more often. You know, most recently, training raw as, as opposed to training equipped, and then competing raw as opposed to training equipped. What are the the differences, benefits, disadvantages? Personally, I just think it's a different sport. Okay, that's really it. I mean, you can't uh, when you it's it's like a uh, you know stock cars versus you know uh, the ones that aren't stock. <laughs> Yeah. It's just a different sport, so you can't really compare it. Some people prefer to do that. I prefer to do raw. I was always bodybuilding most of the year, sure. so I didn't have the time to learn the suits. Learning the suits is a big deal, yeah. getting the right fit and, and learning the, the different uh, um, uh, grooves that you use on those. So I just think it's very different. I think the reason that raw has gotten so important, to be honest with you, uh, the publicity, of course, the, a lot of the publicity around um, the, the YouTube and all that stuff, I was fortunate to have, who have been involved in it at the time when muscular development was covering me and putting me all over their magazine, and then yeah. bodybuilding has such a huge market. Um, people like that sort of thing, you know, the Johnny Jackson, the, the Ronnie Coleman. We did that World's Strongest Bodybuilder. Yeah. Uh, then Flex Magazine sponsored me and started putting me in pictures and videos. So a lot more attention came as a result of the bigger audience. 
Uh, and I think another, and then at the time, all those other videos started coming out with uh, Lilybridge and George Lehman and all yeah. those guys. Uh, the content was exciting, and they were all lifting raw. Uh, but another big thing is the CrossFitters. Yeah. So many cross. Last meet I was at, half of the competitors were CrossFitters. So and women. Yeah. Half the competitors were women. Yep. So many more women and CrossFitters as a result uh, of the the weight training and the benefit it's been provided them and the overcoming the stigma associated with powerlifting. They uh, they get in and start doing CrossFit and they really like the big lifts. Sure. And they like to see to measure themselves on the one rep max, uh, and so they start competing and they've brought a ton of, of eyeballs and oh, competitors we, we, to the we've market. We've seen that because yeah. I've, been, I've been running meets for about a decade and well, so I've been able to see the shift from in the sport but also like you know see, running meets as well yeah. and yeah it used to be like 30 lifters would show up at a meet there'd be one raw guy and uh, everybody else's whipped. gear yeah. and yeah. there'd be like two girls and now we'll run a meet and there'll be a hundred lifters yeah. <laughs> and there'll be one guy in gear you're right. Fifteen or twenty women. Yeah. And half the people are usually CrossFit or something yeah. that's it takes a while to so, learn the gear, yeah. to learn so. the suits. And a lot of these people they're really they're that's not their primary. My primary at the time was bodybuilding and the CrossFitters primary yeah. is CrossFitting. And they use raw lifting as a part of their CrossFitting training, so they just you know, they would never use gear as part of CrossFit training. So they don't learn it, they don't try it. Um, I don't get into the 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 finger pointing and the battle and all that. I, I just think it's a, it's a, everybody's individual it's a choice. Different sport, like you said. It's a different sport, and you know what? Uh, the more, the merrier. Everybody should have an opportunity. Uh, you know, like with the new men's physique yeah. uh, and the women's bikini, etc. It's brought a whole lot more people, and they should have an opportunity to pursue, pursue their dreams and a and a an audience and a platform to to reach their goal. Sure. So a lot of people today that follow me don't realize that I spent a decade doing uh, geared lifting. Okay. Full on multiply canvas suit, multiple briefs. Yeah, um, back in your West Side days. Yep, yep. Yeah. And uh, so, um, you know, it was fun, but I I just found I spent too much time learning the gear, focused on it, one. It did make me better technique, like mastering technique and appreciating the value of that. Sure. So, so that was really good, um, but I spent less time training, and so I went away from it to you know gain more time. Actually, just in the gym, getting stronger. And I made that shift maybe six-ish years ago. And uh, I just put, reposted a picture on Instagram of me from seven years ago. Saw that. And I look incredible. Like, so I put, you know, that's been a big driver of I've got more work in. Yeah. A lot more work. I you were a power lifter in that photo? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, bigger muscle can become a stronger I, I muscle. Was, I was I was an eight hundred pound deadlifter in that photo. Yeah. No well, shit, it didn't look like it. Did. Well, it's hard. You could only kind of see your face, <laughs> yeah, no yeah. beard, a little bit different, but still, you looked fifty pounds lighter. Yeah, the hypertrophy <laughs> training is important. Eddie Cohn yeah. started out at one sixty five and ended up at two forty two. Wow, it's a result of hypertrophy training, not powerlifting per se. Sure, you know, it, it contributes, but but I, um, I think that's where the sport's going. But I think there's still a place for gear, especially with our masters lifters. Yeah. Okay, so our guys that are fifty plus, sixty plus. Injury prevention exactly it's huge to be able to put on at least a pair of briefs or a light shirt that's or, a good point and uh and, and so i have last so long and exactly in raw lifting exactly yeah. so i i think that that's where that's where the sport is like the, the, a lot of our masters lifters are going to continue to shift over to the gear and stay in the gear just because it allows them to train and the shoulder and stabilization and yeah you can't bench when you, you know, when you get that up in the years it's, people ask why. it's not necessarily the support so much too is like you were talking about, uh, you know, the flossing and doing other stuff with, uh, yeah. with the knee, um, and uh, like Donnie Thompson. So some of the products we didn't talk about, and we don't need to. 
um, are developed uh, that I sell are developed by Donnie Thompson. Sure. Um, he's another Mr. 3000. Mr. 3000. Yeah. Um, so, um, but he does a lot of uh, distraction of the joint, compression of the joints. Well, think about it. I mean, how are you gonna how are you gonna how are you gonna provide passive compression to the hips? Well, pair of briefs are actually doing yeah. doing that. So, yeah. is it how much of it is support and how much of it is actually that compression effect huh. on that? So, um, because yeah, you can take somebody with a groin injury, put them in a pair of briefs, and all of a sudden they're squatting depth with no problem. Yeah, and it could be a really light pair too. But uh, yeah, in my in my facility, we have a ton of 50, 60, 70 plus lifters, and nearly all of them are gear, and I and I think it's the right thing for them. Yeah, and I don't mean to, to plug Mark Bell and the slingshot, but he designed no. that thing yeah. in two thousand nine when I was training with him, and I had all the shoulder and elbow pains from squatting, and I squatted. I was or when I was benching, I was able to put that thing on, and it provides stabilization of the elbows, and then as you go down, it the, the uh, the way that it, it uh, stretches and decreases the load as you get towards the chest helps relieve some of the pain for the shoulders, but sure. still lets you feel the weight as you're extending where yep. you're stronger. So the weight's lighter where you're weaker and the weight's heavier where you're stronger. The weight's lighter where you are more susceptible to injury at full stretch. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it, uh, the weight's heavier where you're at lockout. And that was it enabled me, and I, I got one for my training partner. He hadn't been able to do incline presses or dips in years because of his shoulder problems. He popped that on, and he was able to do them. So there's a suit in the bag, in your gym bag. Yeah. It, it's pretty similar in its in its results just mm-hmm. for the bench press. It does the same thing. It stabilizes the joint and, uh, and helps lighten the loads. I think there's starting to be, like, some uh, competitions that are... You know, that, that slingshot, slingshot competitions. competitions. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Always. Now, wearing a belt. Do you uh, you advocate wearing a belt in training? And what are your thoughts on that? Because we're talking about, you know, increasing intra-abdominal pressurization. Do you use a belt as a part of this? Do you stay away from the belt? I mean, there's different breathing techniques, of course, postural techniques. It depends. Okay. So I do both. Okay. And I recommend both. So the core stabilization... Uh, works with or without a belt. Yeah. Now, a lot of people wear a belt too tight, and it's actually sucking in, and they're not actually able to use it appropriately. Okay. A belt can also be used as a cueing technique because we want to get 360 degree all the way around, and that brings it all the way through, brings awareness to the obliques through the back, and actually inflating and pushing against it. What he's saying is when you take a breath, you don't breathe up into the chest. Yeah. You breathe out down into the abdominals and to the obliques and to your lower back. And you can test that by putting your fingers on your obliques. And when you breathe correctly to stabilize your core, your fingers should come out, yeah. not in. When you take a chest breath, your fingers will come in. So when he talks about 360-degree core stabilization, it's about breathing through your into your core to stabilize the area. Yeah. Yeah. So we do, like, if I'm working on core stabilization, I may have somebody doing pause squats with no belt, holding pressurization in the hole for five seconds. Gotcha. I may have people not wearing a belt for up to a certain level. I'm not big on myself on, like, going up to a maximal effort without the belt um, just from a risk-reward standpoint. So I'm not big on doing, oh, I've got a beltless deadlift PR versus a non. But if that's your thing, I don't have a problem with it either. Gotcha. Um, so it's it's a totally, it depends, and, uh, and I use both. Okay. Yep. I wear them on the heavier sets. Uh, in the last three years, I haven't worn a belt because I'm not training to compete. So I don't do the real heavy stuff. And, and I want and my weakest per- link. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I want my weakest link to be my weakest link. As soon as I, as I start to like put on knee wraps or put on a belt, then I'm adding more weight. Gotcha. You know, so. And. We saw each other a few months ago. You were getting ready for deadlift comp with Mike O'Hearn. 
Yeah, you know, he had a, a role he was trying out for, uh, uh, and he spent a lot of time uh, down in Hollywood gotcha. trying out for a role that he didn't have time to prep for that. So we postponed it. We'll do something later. Right, that would have been fun. As I get older and weaker, he gets stronger, and, uh, you know, so he'll he'll definitely reach out to he, me again. He, he's got some magic there, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that was right around the time I was having a struggle with the vitamin D, too. I, I didn't feel 100% strong myself, so I can't complain about the delay, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm... 100% right now. Sure. Cool. All right, guys. We've had you over two hours, so, which cow. is awesome, okay. and it goes fast. <laughs> um, anything that you want to drop, you know, and let's talk about the websites, the the cooler. What do you guys have that are out there right now? And, of course, when you're back in town, we'd love to get you back on. We had a bunch of questions people wanted to ask, but we'll get all that stuff later. Okay. So, Chris, what do you have? Um, I'll just leave it simple because we did spend a fair bit of time on some of my products and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but uh, anybody that wants to join up, for the movement website, I'll give them 50% off the initiation dues. Wow. It's a pretty cheap website to begin with, okay. with 10 bucks a month. The content on there will blow your mind. Okay. So it's a really, really cool tool. But uh, And that's the, the website is? Kabuki.ms. K-A-B-U-K-I dot M-S for movement systems. Okay. And uh, it's also available. There's a link to it on kabukistrength.com as well. Perfect. Um, and the discount code for 50% off is uh, Dolce. Dolce Hayes. Diet. <laughs> Diet. There we go. Yes. <laughs> um, cool. I, well, we appreciate that. I know the audience will definitely appreciate that. And that's kabuki.ms, promo code Dolce Diet. Save 50%. That's a huge discount. Yeah. Well, thank you. Very cool of you. For everybody listening, get your ass on there right now. Change I, I your figured life. If, they, if, they, if they listen to us for two hours, then, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> they, they deserve something. Absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, you probably just changed people's lives with these, these, this conversation, though. More vitamin D, uh, you know, focused on uh, increasing uh, shoulder mobility and such. So, um, Sam, what do you got? Uh, you know, I'm at the, uh, I have a product, the cooler at the cooler.com with a K, the cooler.com. Check it out. I'm at stanefforting.com also, if you want to reach out to me and uh, communicate with me, uh, please get a blood test, get a blood, please test. check your vitamin D, please move more and eat better. Just some air squats and some pushups can go miles and miles and just live a healthier lifestyle. That's, that's it. it for that's me. beautiful. That's a, that's the way to end it. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you guys so much. Uh, everyone, make sure that you, you check them out. Check them out on Instagram. So what's at Stan Efforting at Stan Efforting E F F E R D I N G and Chris, you are at Mad Scientist. Yes, there's an underscore in there. Mad, Mad underscore Scientist. Yep. Yep. And that will be. I'll be tweeting these. We'll be tweeting these photos. This will. This episode will go out on Monday. That's uh, our, our high download day. So, and then we'll, we'll push the fuck out of it. Good. And keep it going. All right. Appreciate Thank you, for you guys. Us oh, again. it's a pleasure yeah, and an honor Mike, to have you guys in studio. Appreciate you. And uh, all right, guys, want to thank you all for listening, for tuning in. Remember, don't count calories, make calories count. Boom. Oh.